Hi there, my name is, um, oh no, it's gone again, it's gone again, um, Bill Oddie, that's right. You see, at my age, and I've got quite a lot of age now, you forget that sort of thing. Never mind, I can remember that over the next three hours, I am going to be taking you on a journey through time. And we're going to delve into the history of a... <laughs> can I say it? Seminal comedy show. Mm. And as a matter of fact, I was in it. This is... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Again! It was 12 o'clock and the porter told the bell. It's 12 o'clock, Bell. <laughs> I, I, I suppose I've got to face it, haven't I? I'm, I'm no longer your little pet. No, no, not since I got the rhinoceros. <laughs> All we have to do is to dig up an old, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, script. Yes, then cut out all the jokes that are rude or offensive or bad taste or out of date or unfunny. And then stick them all together to make a show. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Oh, there we are. Sort of oral miscellany. I hope you can say that on You can say anything on the radio these days, can't you? Uh, no, apparently you can't. Anyway... A bit of history coming up now, and uh, basically in the early 1960s, there were a group of young lads from various schools up and down the country um, who went to Cambridge University, and we had an excellent show at the end of 1963, which included people like John Cleese, Tim Taylor, Graham Chapman, um, David Hatch was another one, bless him, and that was very successful. I would say successful despite its title. It was called A Clump of Plinths, and then an extraordinary thing happened because the show was so successful, so successful, that it actually was taken by an impresario, no less, into London. But he said, a clump of plinths isn't a very good title. It's unlikely to draw in the the public in London. And, and yeah, he's probably right. So instead, he called it Cambridge Circus. <laughs> you get it, you get it. Cambridge Circus, place in London, theatre just down the road from it, and we went to Cambridge... But it had nothing to do with the circus. Anyway, it was a, a three-ring howl. I think somebody actually used that as a review. I'm rambling, aren't I? You want to know about Humphrey Barclay. Humphrey was the producer-director of that show. He'd been a star of the previous year, but he himself has admitted, I think, that he looked at the cast for 1963 and thought... Phew, they're a bit, uh, a bit tasty, this lot. I don't mean any sort of meaningful thing, you know what I mean. Uh, he thought they were rather good at acting and singing and stuff like that. So he was going to become the director. Power mad the boy was. Cambridge in those days had a very strong tradition of comedy. It was before the days of stand-up. We didn't call it stand-up then. It was sort of sketch comedy. And... It sort of goes in waves. We arrived just after Peter Cook had left and everybody was saying, well, it's not going to be funny anymore, is it? And then in the course of three years, it became another benchmark because it was the Cleese, Brooke Taylor, Oddy generation. Now, it happened that a talent scout came from the BBC at that time thinking the new comedy is at the university's and came and found our show and saw that it was good. And uh, this was Peter Titheridge, a very funny, wise, helpful, witty man. And a great deal is owed to Peter's acumen in spotting what was going on in this Footlights Club room in Cambridge. Humphrey Barclay there, who eventually became the producer of I'm Sorry, I Read That Again. 
here are a couple of extracts from the radio version, got that, no pictures on radio, of the extremely visual, which means it's a lot to look at and not quite so much to listen to, stage show, Cambridge Circus on radio. We begin with John and Mary. That's actually John Cleese and Joe Kendall, not Mary. You'll say, oh, don't worry about it, she's acting, she's acting. And in fact, it all went on to become uh, a little bit of a fixture. And I'm sorry, I'll read that again. magnificent country. It's so, so big. I should never have thought that a country could have such a, such an irresistible attraction for me. Ah, the dark continent. Ah, Africa. Malaya, darling. Malaya, Africa, they're all British. Mary, darling. Yes, John, darling. Mary, there's something I must tell you. Yes, Mary, please don't make it any more difficult for me. It's hard enough as it is. You see, it's been going on for some time now. What has, John? Mary, please try to understand. But I do. No, you think that you do, but you don't. You see... John! Do you mean it's all over? Between us, I mean... I... I... Oh, God! Mary... Mary, don't... Mary, don't move! Keep absolutely still to make a sound! What is it, John? There's a black mamba crawling up your leg. Ah! Now, don't move. <laughs> Mary, please try to understand. <laughs> but, John, Paul said that you Paul? yes. Paul! <laughs> I never want to hear his name again! Paul who? Oh, Paul Denning, yes. Now, didn't he marry the Musgroves girl? No, that was Archie Davis. Keep Archie Davis out of this! You know Archie's dead. Dead? Yes, he died in Bombay last week. They can't bury him, though. Oh, why not? The ground's too hard. <laughs> Look out! between us. Yes. Oh, John. It was all so lovely in Kuala Lumpur in the spring. Do you remember how we used to wade together through the mangrove swamps? And how we used to watch the baby bandicoots frolicking in the Nagumba trees? <laughs> Did you put the leopard out? Yes. <laughs> oh, what a blind, blind fool I've been. I love you. Damn you, I love you. No, John. It's no good. Don't you see? We could never start all over again. It would always catch up with us. It's no use going on pretending. But, Mary, it, it can't just end like this.
My lord, in this case, my learned friend, Mr. Mel Travers, appears for the defence, and I appear for the money. Oh, <laughs> oh Mr. Mel Travers, I trust your leg is better. I, I haven't hurt my leg, my lord. I'm so glad to hear that. Please continue, Mr. Bartlett. Uh, thank you, my lord. The case would appear to be a simple one, my lord. The prosecution will endeavour to show that the snivelling, depraved, cowardly wretch whom you see cowering in the dock returned home on the night of the 14th of July in a particularly vicious and unpleasant frame of mind, had words with his wife, and then deliberately assaulted his pet ostrich by throwing a watering can at it. A what? A uh, watering can, my lord, a large uh, cylindrical tin-plated vessel with a perforated pouring piece much used by the lower classes for the purpose of artificially moistening the surface soil. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bartlett. Your knowledge is inexhaustible. You are very gracious, my lord, if I may continue. Uh, the ostrich... The what? The ostrich, my lord, an ostrich, a large, uh, hairy, flightless bird resident in Africa, remarkable for its speed in running and much prized for its feathers. Uh, a kind of cat. <laughs> uh, no, my lord. Uh, the ostrich, uh, taking flight, flew out of the window and landed on a passing ice cream cart. Oh, the what? Cart? Ice cream cart, my lad. Ice cream, an artificial cream substitute, a sweetened, flavoured and frozen, originally invented by the Moican Indians as an antidote to trench foot. <laughs> <laughs> remarkable, remarkable. No, thank you, my lad, if I may be allowed. That was Judge Not, known to us lot as the court scene from Cambridge Circus, and it was featuring John Cleese, Tim Buck Taylor, and David Hatch. It was first heard, ooh, on the 30th of December, 1963. Now, by the time Cambridge Circus became, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, Graham Chapman had moved on, though occasionally he did write for us. Um, Graham's place was ultimately filled by another Cambridge actor by the name of Graham. There's a coincidence. Um, but, of course, they're spelt differently. One is Graham and the other one is Graham. And the one who's on now, as it were, that you're about to hear, is Graham Garden, OK? As opposed to Graham Garden, as in Graham... You probably understand this better than me. Anyway, Graham Garden and I started writing together and um, we wrote, I suppose, an awful lot of I'm sorry read that again over the year. So I think it's about time I um, shut up because I'm getting all confused and played a show to you. This one is from series two and you can hear some of the things that became regular devices over the many years. We're cocky enough to think we've run a long time. We need some devices we can drag out for years and years. Um, for example, in this one there's a parody of great literature. Um, we did lots of those, but here it's Charles Dickens who gets it. And about time too, I hear you cry. Well, don't worry, because he's never worked since. No, 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 no. So, here it is. I'm sorry I'll read that again. First broadcast on the 1st of November 1965. And I'm afraid it seems to be showing its age a little bit. Because uh, this noise at the beginning. Is that David Hatch doing a chipmunk impersonation? And now we have great pleasure in presenting for your entertainment and delight the world-famous team of singing dogs. Pamela Pickups Poodles. Pamela, Pamela, welcome to our programme. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, before we are lucky enough to have your very talented dogs perform for us, I would like to ask you... Uh, I wonder if you could stop that particular very talented dog performing over there on that microphone. Naughty dog, come here. Thank you. Uh, Pamela... 
Would you tell us something about your dog? Yes, of course. Perhaps I could start by introducing them to you. This is Peregrine. <laughs> and this is Clarence. And this is Spot. Spot is the most famous of my dogs. In fact, he's a celebrity Spot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I understand that your, your very talented dogs only sing classical music, Pamela. Oh, yes. And the first piece we're going to do for you today is by Johann Sebastian Bach. Ready, poodles? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Very impressive. Uh, they should perhaps take a bow while. <laughs> I must say, I thought that was awfully clever. They're almost human, aren't they? Have you perhaps another... Have you perhaps another very short piece we could finish with? Oh, yes, of course. Ready, poodles? One, two, three... <laughs> Uh, that, that was even better. Oh, you liked it better than the Bach. Oh, yes. Yes, well, it's always the same with poodles, of course. Their Bach is worse than their Beethoven. This is I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again, half an hour of hilarious Hoojama flick featuring a number of Hoojamas, and if you don't like it, you can always go to the flicks. <laughs> Nowadays, most magazines cater for the with-it, go-ahead youngster. But what about the without-it, not-going-anywhere middle-agedster? A new publication has just reached the bookstalls. Fogey, the magazine for the over-40s. <laughs> Page 130, Fogey About Town. The square peg, a male boutique for the over-40s, has just opened in Carnaby Street, Frinton. <laughs> Behind the gay window display of ready-knotted handkerchiefs for beach headwear, I found several racks of baggy flannel trousers with 24-inch turn-ups. <laughs> Certainly a very wide selection there. Belted raincoats in Greg Aberdeen were on show, including the new shorty style, which leaves the shoes exposed. <laughs> yes, Frinton is really tickety-boo these days, with Issy Bon in Cabaret at the Lukewarm Elephant. <laughs> and the new discotheque, the Coco Argogo, featuring the latest dance craze, the Hokey Cokey. Next month, I shall be writing about grease stains on woolly cardigans and how to apply them. <laughs> Page 302, record reviews and the top ten. And this week's number one in the over 40s hit parade is Bless This House sung by Leighton and Johnson. And zooming into second place after being at number three for only five years is I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter on a musical song. <laughs> Numbers three to 10 are held by whispering Jack Smith singing several songs which we can't quite hear. Well, at least we think it's whispering Jack Smith, but it may just be the surface noise. Page 795, Reader's Letters. Dear sir, I can't understand the talk of teenagers these days. What are the kinks? Yours, Mrs. T. Flinchwater, Dorset. These are things you get in the cable of your vacuum cleaner, editor. 
<laughs> Dear sir, I greatly admired your coverage of the annual over 40s march on the BBC, but I should like to point out one small error. You stated that the petition to clean up television had 4,500 signatures. I know this is an underestimate, as I myself signed it over 5,000 times. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Colonel G.M. Battersby, retired. Colonel Battersby will be known to many of our readers as the founder of the League to Restore the Flogging of Boy Chimney Sweeps. <laughs> Editor. Dear sir, please excuse my jerky handwriting. Yours faithfully, Mrs. J.J. Glasgow. Yes, Fergie is packed with penetrating, thought-provoking features like these. Get switched off today. Buy Fergie, seven and six from any good bookstall. And don't miss this month's fabulous middle-aged spread of Fogie of the Month, Sophie Tucker. Come in, lad, and come here. Terribly sorry, Father. Shut up. Now, I've been rummaging through your desk, and I found this. Now, what is it? It's a letter. Quiet. What? It's a letter. Now, what is it? It's a letter. That's right. Good. You're learning fast. Oh, thank you. I also managed to break into your top drawer, and I took out your blotter, oh, yes. and by holding it up to the mirror, I discover that you've been writing, you filthy beast. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I've been reading some of your letters, oh. and I'm disgusted. Oh. Your style is appalling. Just listen to this. Just Not only has the camp been struck, but also the legates no. have by two or from no, there no. four for a long time, no, however, no. been sent out. No, 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 no. It doesn't make sense, man. Nobody's going to answer a letter like that. Quiet! It's getting interesting. My most illustrious and respected lover. Good grief. I hadn't noticed that. To whom is this addressed? Come on, come on, who is she? Who is the girl? Aha, here it is. I shall come to you by night, most beloved Hannibal. Hannibal, eh? I'm not having this kind of thing in my house. I think it's about time you spent some time away from your parents. Yes. So your mother and I will go off to Outward Bound. And then we can't set you... <laughs> and then we can't set you a bad example. Yes, that'll be nice, won't it? <laughs> and as for this letter, we'll do something about this tendency of yours. Oh, thank you. I'll send you to public school. Goody. And then you can develop it. <laughs> and you'll have to do Latin so you can learn to write properly. Yes, I will. Yes, yes, yes. I don't understand you. No? Last week, I caught you playing with dolls. Oh. There's only one person who has dolls in this family, yes, so leave my things alone. <laughs> and tell your sister that, too. Yes, I will. Right. Well, you won't be going far away. No. Throgton Prison is only 250 miles from here, oh, so you can start walking after tea. Yeah, me a stone Now, when you get there, you're going to have to defend yourself. Yes, Father. You should really have a man-to-man -man talk with your mother. Yes. But I can tell you, you're growing up into quite a little man. In fact, you're growing up into a very little man. I don't know why you're so small. Your grandfather was a fine figure of a man. And so was your granny. I remember. Yes, well, I'm going to show you how to take a punch. I don't want you to scream when you're hit, so put this telephone in your mouth. Now, I'll stand up straight and you get on this chair and I'll punch you on the knee. There. Now, you hit me. Come on, come on, hit me. Hit me with a whip, fool. You Come on. Say good heavens, it's Carstairs, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, but I'm afraid I don't uh, know. Thompson, Thompson, lucky Thompson. Good heavens, so it is. 
Long time no see, eh? No, Not no. since we were at school together. No, you were right, I gather you're doing very well for yourself, old man. Harry Gratters. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, Lady Luck has been rather kind, but um, but how about yourself? Not too good, I'm afraid. Had oh. a bit of bad luck right at the beginning and never seemed to get straight, you know. Oh, no, that is too bad. <laughs> now it's just a question of picking up a bit of cash wherever I can find it. Yes, you know? yes. <laughs> That's presumably why you're attempting to remove my wallet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, you remember at school I used to be good with my fingers? Yes, of course I do. Best leg break burler in the 11. Quite, quite. Well, the best way to use this skill seemed to be to take up pickpocketing. Yes, of course. Very mm. sensible idea. Right, right. It's a skilled job, you know. I, I just never realised how many tricks of the trade there were. Yes, you do realise that you've just, you've just taken my watch, don't you? Oh, so I have. Yes. <laughs> the watch always comes after the wallet, you know. It's one of the first things you learn, the double W, wallet and watch. <laughs> Easy now, carefully, that's it. Oh, I, I see that you now have my jacket, shirt and vest. <laughs> yes. But surely, <laughs> surely you won't get very much for that shirt. No, you? it's not the shirt I'm after, it's the cufflinks. But enough of me, how about yourself, married? Yes, I am, actually. And, uh, Look, very... I'm sorry to interrupt, but would you mind just standing on your left leg for a moment? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Steady, good. Now the right one. Right? Fabulous. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Thank you so much, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted. Very know. rude of me. <laughs> you were saying you were married. <laughs> uh, yes, I am, and very happily. So good, 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 good. Look, I, I don't want to be <laughs> difficult, but... Um, no, 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 no. It is very cold standing here now that you've taken my trousers. So I have yes. your trousers. <laughs> and my shoes and socks, actually. <laughs> yes, there's nothing left, in fact, now, except my underpants. Oh, so sorry. I forgot. Once again, please, right leg. Yes. <laughs> Left leg, easy now. Oh. Well done. <laughs> Didn't hurt. I say, I, 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 I say I, I'm completely naked. You say you are. <laughs> Wholly new. Harry Stark. Yes, without a stitch. <laughs> Absolutely as nature intended. <laughs> yes, right. Right. Well, what am I going to do? I, I mean, it's a little, little embarrassing, you know. I do feel a bit guilty about this, leaving you in the middle of the street like some Greek statue. <laughs> Look, I'd like you to have this ten-shilling note. Oh, oh no, 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 no please, I'd like you to have it. <laughs> I think oh. you'll find that should cover everything. <laughs> <laughs> or practically everything. Dear sir, I viewed with horror the recent deterioration in army recruiting figures. The regular army must attract more young people. Otherwise, I shall stop complaining about it. So there. Yours sincerely, Brigadier General, it's a good thing I am retired. <laughs> it's a good thing. You are quite right. And to see what the army is doing about it, over to the drill hall in West Hartlepool. Right now, lads, what we've got to do is pop up our image so that we can attract all them horrible, pimpy teenagers, right? Right. All right. From now on, remember, it's a kid's life in the British Army, right? Right. But unlike the Salvation Boys, we are not replacing the fife and drums with electrified guitars. Oh, no, 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 no. That sort of thing may get you nearer to heaven, but it won't get you very far with me. Right? Right. <laughs> However, we have called in the 31st West Edifordshire Mounted Jug Band. So right now, you're all going to have a square bashing dance, right? Right. Squad! Can! Squad! Shoulder! Bombs! Keep them backs as stiff as start, squad. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Quick march. <laughs> left, right, left, right, turn about. Chin's right in and your chest right out. Turn to the left and round the square. Polish your boots and cut your hair. Up, two, three, four, up, two, three. If you don't know what to do, just watch me. Let's see you march. I know you can. March, you horrible little man. Wake up, Perkins, that means you. You're all gonna have a special thrill. It's time for an armed combat. 
wash jug. And now, as another in our series, The I'm Sorry Sagas, we present The Adventures of Little Martin Copperwick. I was born in the little town of Chunky Plantagenet in the county of Lincolnshire. This came as a great surprise to my parents who were living in Wigan at the time. <laughs> Of my earliest days, I remember but little, except that when I was six, we all moved to Grubendorf Weissum to Linden, near Birmingham. <laughs> and it was there that I grew into the innocent, lovable little boy whose adventures I shall try to describe in my narrative. One evening, I particularly remember, when my mother and father were away indulging their high spirits at a temperance meeting, and I was alone at home with my faithful old nurse, Maggotty. <laughs> Master Copperwick, it ain't right for a growing lad like yourself to spend so much time with your school books. You shall be away out with the rest of the young uns, throwing bricks at cats and trapping baby starlings. <laughs> oh, Maggotty, you are an ignorant old peasant, but I love you very dearly. <laughs> if I ignore my books, how am I going to grow up into a great man and become Prime Minister and free the country from all the social ills that plague it at this time and then rule the world and shoot all the people I hate? <laughs> <laughs> Lord bless you, Master Copperwick, how we do go on. All this clever talk is far above my old lovable grey head. Yes. But I suppose you're right. If I'd given more heed to my book learning, I might have bettered myself and become a fine lady. Never. <laughs> <laughs> but as it is, dear Maggotty, you are surely happy at home with us. Oh, yes, Master Copperwick. I mustn't grumble, or else your father will beat me. I am glad to hear of it. Not many grubby little old women live the life that you do. Oh, I'm sure of it. Indeed, I'm grateful. But I shall miss you, Master, when you go away to school. And I shall miss you too, for you have been a great companion to me. And when I return from Dr. Birch's Academy, who knows, you may not be with us anymore. But I expect Father will buy me a dog or something. <laughs> but now it is time for my music practice, so go and fetch me the piano and then you may go to bed. I shall, sir. But before I go, simple old countrywoman that I am, let me run my fingers through your beautiful curly golden locks. Certainly, you will find them on the piano. <laughs> At last, the morning of my departure for Dr. Birch's Academy arrived. The whole village, who all loved me very dearly, turned out to bid me Godspeed, and I was showered with presents and rotten fruit. <laughs> Dear Maggotty presented me with an enormous bottle of fruit salts, which moved me very much. <laughs> But after tearful farewells had been exchanged, the coach at last set off for London, and dear faithful Maggotty, tears streaming down her cheeks, ran beside the coach for several miles until she <laughs> fell into the ditch. <laughs> that night, we arrived in London, and I presented myself at Dr. Birch's Academy for the Sons of Gentlemen. You rang, Yes, I am Martin Copperwick, the new pupil. Come along with me, young master, and I'll take you to Dr. Birch. Don't you be afraid of him. Tis only his manner. He won't eat you. Not raw, anyway. <laughs> He'll be studied. 
Come! Young Master Copperwick. Ah, come in, Copperwick. Pull up a chair and bend over. <laughs> Good evening, sir. Yes, you have no doubt heard, Copperwick, that I am a cruel martinet and rule the boys in my care with an iron hand. Indeed <laughs> I have, sir, but you shall not lose my respect on that score, for I feel only the deepest pity for you and can recommend an excellent practitioner in Hanover Square who could help you a great deal. Yes, what a kindly and understanding lad you are, to be sure. Come, put your feet up by the fire while I heat this poker. <laughs> Sorry, Father, I thought you were alone. No, 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 come in, my dear. Copperwick, this is my daughter, Annie. Annie, take Master Copperwick and show him everything. And after that, you can show him round the school. <laughs> <laughs> now, run along, Copperwick, and don't be late for supper. It's at seven o'clock sharp, next Friday. <laughs> I enjoyed my stay at Dr. Birch's Academy. Eventually, the time came for me to run away. And so... <laughs> And so, late one night, I crept away. The porter at the lodge was sound asleep, so, clasping my humble belongings, I ran through the gate. <laughs> Early next morning, I found myself in the Charing Cross Road with nowhere to go. However, after a humble breakfast in the friendly warmth of a nearby dustbin, I wandered off. <laughs> I wandered off deep in thought until at 12 o'clock I had reached London docks, where I fell in with a bad crowd. <laughs> How long I lay in the water, I cannot tell, but when I came to my senses, I found myself in a dusty garret, and bending over me, I descried an old man with long, matted grey beard, a hooked nose and piercing eyes. On his head, he wore a skull cap, and he had a filthy habit which I don't intend to describe. <laughs> As I opened my eyes, he spoke. So here we are, alive and kicking already. <laughs> I later discovered that his name was O'Reilly. <laughs> and he was full of the old Blarney. After I'd been in the attic for a few weeks and sufficiently gained my strength to scream for help, he spoke to me on a serious matter. Now, look here, Copperwick. You've been with us a month now, and it's time you earned your keep already. Now, I'm an old man. I'm an old man, and I can't get about like I used to, so I keep a gang of young lads to work for me. And I'd like you to join them. So nip out and do a spot of thieving like a good boy. But that would not be honest, sir. Honest schmonest, so who needs it? Look, this is my head boy, the artless wonder. You, you... <laughs> you pick up a lot from him, so don't get too close. How do you do, Master Copperwick? Of course, he's getting on a bit, but he's one of the sharpest pickpockets in the trade. And he's as quick as a whistle. Aye? I say you're as quick as a whistle. As a whistle. Oh, yes. yes. Now, listen very carefully. I'm as quick as a whistle, yes. you know. <laughs> Look, what, I'm what, swifter than an arrow from a bow. Look, oh, you know, I am very swift. <laughs> Look, why don't you nip over to the railway line and have a nice lie down? <laughs> now, look, quick. Artless, look. I want you to tell young Master Copperwick here how to pick pockets. Swift as an arrow. <laughs> when can I start, sir? That's my boy. You can start on something simple, so both of you run along and nick the crown jewels already. <laughs> What's the password? The herons are flying low over the old Kent Road this summer, but the jolly road sweeper doesn't know the name of the caretaker's wooden leg. I know, I know, but what's the password? <laughs> Rhubarb tart. Come in, friend. 
Oh, it's you, Spike. Boss, I've done what you told me. I pinched the safe from Peabody's warehouse. Good. Where is it? Oh, I must have dropped it on the way home. <laughs> so how many times have I told you to mend that hole in your handbag? Sorry, boss. But the cops caught me. They wanted to search me, but I gave them the slip. You mean you're not wearing anything under that frock? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spike, why are you dressed like a little old lady? I am a little old lady. <laughs> and so, under Mr. O'Reilly's eagle eye, I set to work picking pockets, and soon I had the largest collection of pockets in London. <laughs> then, one evening in January, or it may have been Saturday, I was... <laughs> I was in my room, sitting at the rude table, reading a dirty book, <laughs> when I spied a face at the window. I recognised it at once. It was the very same window that had always been in my room. <laughs> I opened it and in climbed none other than my faithful old maggoty, otherwise known as my maggoty old faithful. Oh, Master Copperwick, I do believe you've growed. No, maggoty, I think you've just shrunk. But come and sit over here by the fire where you'll stop the draught. Sir, I can't stay. I've come to warn you that Mr. O'Reilly is an evil man. He plans to carry you off in the dead of night and ship you to America, where he'll sell you into slavery. Heavens, Maggoty, how did you uncover this plot? I heard him talking to Spike about it, sir. They plan to do it tonight. Good work, Maggoty. Here's a bottle of embrocation for your pains. <laughs> Quick, Master Copper, we, we must fly. Impossible. We must run along the ground. <laughs> Quick! my things into this suitcase and climb up the chimney. Very well, sir. Will you follow? No, I'll go out the front way. I've got a key. And so Maggotty and I had made good our escape. Next morning, I wandered into the city in search of regular employment. At last, my attention was caught by a notice reading, Smart Lad Wanted with a View to Managing Directorship. The notice hung on the door of the offices of Podlip, Podlip, Batterworthy and Podlip and Smith. A, fir <laughs> a firm of brokers. I entered and presented myself to the senior partner, a short, bald gentleman with a protruding stomach called Henderson. He introduced himself. Good day, good day, good day, young man. I am the senior partner, Mr. Podlip, and this is my protruding stomach, Henderson. <laughs> How can I help you? I've come to fill your vacancy. Well, you watch your language and we'll get along much better. Now, you seem a likely young shaver, so I'll give you the job. Here is your desk. Use the ink sparingly and write on all three sides of the paper. Your pen will be chained to the desk and so will you. Now, have you anywhere to live? No, sir. Then you must come home with me. My wife will be glad of an extra hand around the place. What place, sir? Keep a civil tongue in your head. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we have a capital room to let out of the cellar and the rent is a mere ten shillings a minute. Now, does that suit you? Very well, sir. I'm sure I shall enjoy working with you. I'm sure you shall. If you don't, just come along to me and I'll sack you. And so I set to work at Mr. Podlip's office, and thus passed one of the happiest periods of my life. It was about this time that I took myself a wife, but her husband found out, so I had to give her back. <laughs> one evening in the middle of June, I returned to the Podlip household to find that they were, as usual, celebrating Christmas. The, Pod the Podlips were a gay household, and we had already celebrated Christmas eight times since February. <laughs> As I entered the drawing room, what a scene of festive gaiety met my childish gaze. A cheery fire was blazing at the other end of the room, and servants dashed to and fro with buckets to water to quench the flames. 
<laughs> Mrs. Podlip was industriously scooping the stuffing out of the traditional Christmas goose, and so large was the bird that the good lady had to clamber inside it to reach the last of the stuffing. <laughs> and she amused the company every now and then by crawling out and saying, Boo! As I stood in the doorway, one of the guests, Mr. Hackwit, a commercial gentleman, ran up to me and seized my hand. Come, sir, join in the fun. It is very ill-mannered of you to stand so alone. Alone? I'll only be a minute as the egg timer said to the smoked halibut. <laughs> ah, Copperwick, I see you have met Mr. Hackwit. He is well known for his ingenuous cockney wit and humour. Humour? Hugh must be joking, as the Archduke said to the postage stamp. <laughs> capital, Hackwit, capital. But here is my daughter, Annabel. Annabel, come and have a dance with Master Copperwick. Yes, father. Would you care to accompany me in the quadrille, Master Copperwick? No, no, I'll wait here till you come out. <laughs> <laughs> Come, will you take a glass of elderberry syrup? Syrup? Syrup and take notice, as the Wellington Boots said to the, um... Uh, uh, what's <laughs> Come along, everyone. Fill your glasses. Dinner is upon the table. Right. A great cheer went up. <laughs> as the assembled guests converged laughingly on the table. <laughs> Some of the high-spirited younger gentlemen hoisted the ebullient Mr. Hackwit on their shoulders and paraded him around the room, singing, for he's a jolly good fellow, and then threw him out of the window. <laughs> the meal was magnificent, but soon everything had been eaten and nothing was left except for a few crumbs of sawdust where the table had been. <laughs> and then the entertainments began. Ladies and gentlemen, my daughter Annabelle and I will now sing that lovely old ballad, The Willow Tree. The last days of summer fast changing to autumn. The sheep and the cattle went home all the year. We've hunted the rabbits, but seldom have caught them. But just like a rabbit trap, you have caught me. Take them off! Take them off! And now, and now we will all play, we will all play a party game. And afterwards you can all go home. You will all form two teams. And when I give the word, you will all crawl around the room pushing a coal scuttle with your noses and shouting, I am the old family butler. And the first team to act out the last act of Hamlet and Dumb Show on top of the writing desk wins the prize. A sack of artichokes. Now, off you go. But a sudden hush descended as we heard outside the window the tinkle of sleigh bells, the clatter of soft hooves, a slight tap at the door and a jovial voice calling, Open up in the name of the law! <laughs> Without a word, I crept away and hurried off to find Maggotty. Next morning, we took the early coach to Portsmouth, which we sold to a pawnbroker for 30 shillings. <laughs> and so I conclude my story. With our newfound wealth, Maggotty and I set out upon the road in search of my long-lost Aunt Jemima, whom I may have mentioned earlier. If I haven't, it doesn't matter, because it's all a pack of lies anyway. <laughs> That was a short excerpt from the signature tune of I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again. We apologise for this break in transmission of the tune. Normal service will be resumed as soon as I've read the credits. Those taking part in this programme were Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall and Bill Oddie. 
The songs were specially written by Bill Oddie and Graham Garden, and the scripts by Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Garden, Johnny Mortimer, and Brian Cook, and Bill Oddie. The music was provided by Dave Lee. I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again is produced by Humphrey Barclay, so please do not adjust your sets. <laughs> And uh, that first hit the airwaves on the 1st of November 1965. Uh, amongst the writing credits there were a couple of famous names, Brian Cook and Johnny Mortimer, and they went on to write such things as Father Dear Father, Man About the House and George and Mildred. Yes, folks, they sold out and wrote normal sitcoms while we carried on with the wacky zany stuff and became a minority cult. But that's what we wanted to be. Um, the I'm Sorry Saga eventually gave birth to Prune Playhouse. Now, prunes turn up fairly frequently, and I'm sorry I read that again, as there's uh, David Hatch has a girlfriend called Cynthia Prune um, in the programme, and uh, there was a Professor Prune, I remember, and of course the Prune mentioned in Sid Tune was Angus Prune, uh, so it was obviously Scottish, um, but uh, I had no idea who he was, where he came from, or anything else, unless it was from the fevered brain of Humphrey Barclay, who wrote the lyrics to the I'm Sorry Sig Tune. You're listening to I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, again with me, Bill Oddie, on Radio 4 Extra. The digital station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Hi there, Bill Oddie here, wallowing in nostalgia and occasionally almost drowning. And you're listening to I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, Again. Now, Mr Humphrey Barclay, if I had to choose somebody to uh, argue on my behalf on some contentious point, he's probably the person I would choose. So, in a way, uh, I, I'm going to hand over to him and say, go on, Humph, tell us about the things that I'm sorry i read that again was occasionally accused of, or is accused of, nowadays. Humour was different in those days. There are people who will say that... I'm sorry I read that again, had its moments of racist humour, homophobic humour, and probably some other sins as well. Yes, we weren't in those days so careful about slang terms for racial groups. How could you be particularly wary of what we would now call gay jokes when you'd got Jules and Sandy bowling away merrily on uh, around the horn. No, there was no consciousness in those days, which actually makes the shows quite difficult to hear in places now because you are wincing a little bit because we're taught either it's not proper to say something or we ourselves have changed our minds and think it's not proper to say something. In those days, we were a little uh, more carefree. If people say that, I'm sorry I read that again, was a bit sexist, I'm quite surprised, actually. I'm very proud of the contribution that Joe Kendall made to the show. A much underrated talent, in my view. I think she probably had a rough ride, because she was outnumbered by the boys. 
who took her rather for granted, I think. And anyway, of course, as often happened in the footlights, some of the funniest female writing was snuffled by the boys. <laughs> so that um, it wasn't uh, Joe who got to play Lady Constance, it was Tim. The original producer, Humphrey Barclay. It's absolutely clear what Humphrey is saying, that that was something of its time. There wasn't an innate racism at Cambridge University. There certainly wasn't um, an innate anti-gay thing at Cambridge University. In fact, um, you know, let's face it, it was fairly common. But there was a certain degree of sexism. I'm not sure it's the right word, but there was an exclusivity because, like a lot of gentlemen's clubs, the footlight had a no-women rule. And I think he's right to say that Joe had a hard time I, I, I have to say also and that, you know, there were, there were chunks of material, usually written by me and Graham, that were difficult for Joe and, we, and, and uh, would have been difficult for any woman. And uh, it's just like, it's like the pythons playing the old ladies, the pepper pot. Oh, yeah, it's like that. You know, you, you don't get a woman doing that. It isn't funny. It is a pantomime dame type thing. And that, I think, is the key to some of the things that one is accused of. They were just stereotypes. And it's there's no viciousness involved whatsoever, my lord. I was... I'm very lucky to have this. I was sort of in charge of the music. I don't mean literally playing it, because we had, we had the wondrous Dave Lee and the boys, whom they're sarcastically called. They were not boys. And I took it upon myself and regretted it after a fairly short time to actually write two songs a week, which really was pushing it. But So if I ever could ever come up with a device, a musical device which included music, it was a musical number, but it wasn't actually a funny song then I would be very grateful this this was something of just performing it and hoping that it sounded funny. This which was first broadcast on the 9th of June 1968 I remember it well, lovely day it includes, let's call it a musical item, when I do an impersonation of somebody that Everybody knows, and every impersonator in the world is able to do very easily, but hopefully put a different, as they say these days, spin on it. I'll leave you to spot it. It's in there somewhere. I am a spokesman for the GPO. On September the 16th, we are introducing our new letter service with new rates of fivepence for first-class mail and fourpence for second-class mail. What will be the immediate effect? Well, for a start, we'll all know who the meanies are. <laughs> of course, a fivepenny letter will have a considerable social status. And if you do consistently put fourpenny stamps on your letters, you must expect the postman to sneer at you. <laughs> First-class mail will be specially sorted, and 93% of it will be delivered within 24 hours. The other 7% will be lost as usual. <laughs> Fourpenny letters will be sorted by hand. Yeah. <laughs> if at all. They may be defaced by the sorters, and they will certainly receive special frankings over the stamps, such as... Second class is lower class. <laughs> or... Who's a pauper, then? 
We will take second-class mail, but we shall simply store it at the sorting office. So, if you've sent a Faulkner letter, you should write and tell the recipient, who will then have to go and collect it. As before, if you're expecting a parcel, mind you take at least three days off work so as to make sure of being at home when the postman calls. So be in. We give you three chances, and then you'll never see it again. Yes, once again, the Angus Prune tune ushers to the microphone Tim Rook Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendler, Bilotti, who are going to entertain you with this and that, but mostly that. <laughs> this is John Otto Cleese. Oh, no, it's I'm sorry, I'll read that again, Mother, again. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Kevin Mousetrap Show. <laughs> Kevin Mousetrap, what's he doing tonight? Who's he talking to? Where is he? What's he up to? Here am I waiting at home, he's suffering with stone cold gallivanting off, never so much as a buy and leave either. And here he is, Kevin Mousetrap! Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Well, we've got a <laughs> wonderful, marvellous, super terrific show tonight, and you'll be meeting some wonderful, marvellous, super terrific people. So straight away, here's the first wonderful, marvellous, super terrific guest star celebrity personality on the show, me. <laughs> and tonight we were hoping to have on the show His, his Highness uh, King Otto of Luxenstein, a really wonderful, marvellous, super terrific monarch. But unfortunately, he's slightly absent. And so instead, uh, here's that great trade unionist, Sir Reginald Bucket. <laughs> Reggie? Uh, now, uh, tell me, uh, what's it like being King of Luxenstein, Reggie? Well, I ain't the King of Luxenstein, am I? <laughs> super, super, no. <laughs> uh, well, let me put it another way. I mean, the point is, um, what's it like not being the King of Luxenstein? Well, it's not changed me in any way. <laughs> super, well, that's certainly good news. And now, here's the bad news. We've just heard that following the recent coup in Luxenstein, uh, Reg Bucket is now, in fact, King. <laughs> How about that, King Reg? Well, this is all news to me, am I? Well, that's the first, first civil war we've actually had on the show, and I hope you've <laughs> And this brings me to our next guest, philosopher, wit, uh, traveller, and appalling old bore, Arnold P. Totter. Uh, good evening. Uh, uh, oh, do, 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 do. Do you? Good evening. And a good evening to you too, sir. To you, do. How do you do? Yes. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Tartridge, what I want to know uh, is, uh, basically, should priests uh, be free to take drugs? Uh, I've written a book, you know. <laughs> super, super, super. Now, basically, in a sentence, I mean, uh, in a sentence, I mean, the point is, a lot of people must have said to you, I mean, basically, in a word, uh, would you sell your house to a gorilla? Uh, uh, good evening. Uh, good evening. <laughs> Super. And a good evening to you too, sir. Yeah, I, I've written a book, you do. You do. Yeah. Uh, now, you leaving do. the book aside for the moment, um, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's the wrong answer. Good, super. Can you come back next week? Wonderful, marvellous, super, terrific. Now, I'll just say goodbye. Uh, hello. 
Well, now, this is where I walk among the studio audience and chat to them quite casually on their sort of level. And uh, here in the front row, I see we have a little old lady, and it's Mrs. Minnie Gooseacre. Oh, however did you know that, Kevin? Well, I, I know quite a lot about you, Minnie. In fact, I know you have a brother in Canada. Oh, yes, I have. Terrific. And I also know that you haven't seen him for 27 years. No, I haven't. Well, just think of that. A brother all those miles away in Canada that you haven't seen for 27 years. Well, tonight, Minnie, surprise, surprise, we've just heard that he's been run over by a bus. <laughs> Get the camera on it, quick. Good. Super, super, super. <laughs> I see trees of green, red roses too. Oh, I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, ooh, what a wonderful world. baby, rubber. I see skies of blue, yes, and clouds of white. He's got a bad throat, hasn't he? Hasn't he? Bright, blessed day, and a dark, sacred night. Oh, he must be in agony. Ooh, it goes right through you, doesn't it? I say to myself, what a wonderful world. Poor chap. Look, go, go and bring some coffee mixer. All right, all right, yeah. Got it. Where well, the colours of the rainbow. Here, take this old chap. So pretty in the sky. The sore throats and laryngitis. Also in the faces. I think you better not interrupt him at the moment. Are people going by? Uh, now? No, I think he's going to start. I see friends shaking hands. Pour it out. Saying, how do you do? They're really saying. Ready? I love you. Now shove it down, him. Yeah, you'll be all right now. I hear babies cry. Oh, he's just as bad. I watched him grow. I think you better call the doctor. Yeah. They learn much more than I ever knew. Hello? Doctor, he's getting myself. worse. Oh, in hospital? Whoa, what a wonderful world. They're taking him in. Oh, take it easy, old chap. Don't strain it. What about the band? Oh, better take them along. Too. All right, all in. In you get. Keep playing. Whoa! Yes, I know it hurts, old man. Be all right soon. Let's come on. Hurry up. Get it now. That was quick. Right out. Out. Into the operating room. Now, better let the band in all as right, well. All right, play quietly. Colors of the rainbow. Table, please. So pretty in the sky. Oh. Are also on the face. Come here. Are people passing by? I shall have to take his tonsils out. I see friends shaking hands. Scalpel, please, nurse. Saying how do you do? Scalpel. They really saying. Knife and tweezers. I love you. Knife and tweezers. Right, everything ready. I hear babies cry. Shh. And I watch them grow. Gently does it. They learn much more oh, than I'll ever know. Scalpel quickly. And I think to myself. Knife. Whoa, what a wonderful world. 
tweezers and almost there. Now, come on, pull. Pull. Oh, yes. I think to myself. Pull harder, harder. Whoa. Got them. Should be all right now. What a Ah, yes, yes. Uh, sit down, will you, Miss Hopkins? I'll be with you in a minute. Good. All right, Miss Hopkins, take your clothes off. What? Take your clothes off. No. No, I'll take them off for you, then. No! No, I'll take my clothes off, then. No! Look, Miss Hopkins, don't be shy. People always have to take their clothes off when they visit the doctor. You're not a doctor. Ah. <laughs> ah, ah, so that's what's worrying you. Uh, you think I'm not a doctor? Well, you're not. Well, now, that depends how you define a doctor. If you define a doctor as someone who's been trained to make people better when they're ill, then, indeed, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but if you define a doctor as someone who says he's a doctor so that people will take their clothes off in front of him, then I am a doctor. <laughs> so take your clothes off. No! Look, is it that you're not satisfied about me being a doctor? Yes. And if you were satisfied, would you take your clothes off? Yes. Well, uh, my brother-in-law's a doctor, which makes me a doctor by marriage, so take your clothes off. No! I'm not going to take my clothes off. Oh, well, if you haven't come to see me in my capacity as a doctor, why have you come to see me? Well, I've come in answer to your advert. Oh, what advert's this? This one. Oh, yes, yes. Young musical lady required for model work, yes. And you've come about the model work. Well, yes, but... Ah, um... well, well, if you've come about the model work, uh, that's a different matter altogether. Take your clothes off. I'm a musician. That should read modal work. Ah, modal? Oh, yes, of course. How silly of me. Yes, you've come for the modal work. Yes. Well, now, the wages are £30 a week. Oh, that's very good. What does the work entail? It entails playing the African nose flute while standing on a pedestal. In the nude, so take your clothes off. No, it doesn't mention that in the advert. Oh, doesn't it? Uh, let's have another look. Young musical lady required for modal work must be experienced. Ah, now, have you had any experience? Yes, I'm quite experienced. Well, if you had experience, take your clothes off. No! <laughs> will you stop asking me to take my clothes off? I'm not going to! I will not, not, N-O-T, not! Goodbye! Oh, no, please don't go. If, if you take your clothes off, I'll, you, uh, I'll give you five pounds. No. Ten pounds. No. Fifty pounds. No. Hundred pounds. Did you say a hundred pounds? Yes. Oh, what shall I do? Take your clothes off! <laughs> Who are all those people? Oh, um... <laughs> uh, they're all doctors. Oh! <laughs> That's all right, then. Could you help me with this zip? Is what we love to hear today. Once you got the feel, you can never lose it. An animal's born that way. Well, I know far where they keep the beasts in a natural state. From the day they're born, would you believe they all can syncopate? The geese all sing, the cows all swing. They've even got a donkey that can groove like me. The hands are harmonizing like a charm.
And now, here is a warning to all motorists driving along the A35 to Cambridge. The A35 doesn't go to Cambridge. <laughs> Shakespeare. There was an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman, and they were having a drink. When he walks this commercial traveller, he's a big fella. And he no, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What? You said favourite stories of Shakespeare. Oh, he loved that one. <laughs> I thought you meant stories he wrote. Oh, he wrote it too. I mean, Shakespeare wrote some of the oldest jokes in the business. He even written stuff for us. <laughs> he wrote great tragedies and histories. No, no, that's what came down to posterity, yes. But have you ever seen the original manuscripts? No. They're all jokes. I mean, what about all these big hits? Titus Andronicus. Get it tight as Andronicus. Get it tight as... Twelfth Night. At the London Palladium. Oh. And there was his big election comedy, Love, Labour's Lost. <laughs> then, <laughs> then... Then there were all the Lear films. What? Yes, I mean, it was Lear at Life, Take Off Your Clothes and Lear, <laughs> Orgy at Lear's Place, Carry On Learing, all them films. OK, if you say so. Ladies and gentlemen, we present, from the original manuscript, another tale from Shakespeare. You'll laugh till you wake. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's the breeziest romp since Richard III. It's the funniest murder story since Julius Caesar. It's wacky, it's zany, it's cookie, it's Macbeth! <laughs> Seen one? Yeah, I've seen one too. <laughs> the Blasted Heath. Better than the Infernal Wilson. <laughs> it is a foul night. <laughs> and the rain is lashing the trees. Oh, I love it in my tree boys. <laughs> Enter Macbeth and Banquo. My lord, this is a terrible night to be abroad. Or anyone else, for that matter. See, the skies are rent with thunderbolts. The clouds serve as shrouds to a thousand devilish faces. The wind howls like the cry of maddened wolves. And it is raining human blood. What can this mean? There's an anti-cyclone over Ireland. <laughs> Hear the raging of the storm. It's getting louder. What a terrible noise. I can't hear myself speak. What did you say? I don't know. I can't hear myself speak. He's done it. Him. Up there. Fall to him. You stupid producer. Turn the sound effects down. <laughs> That's better. That's better. Now. Seek shelter. A few moments ago, I thought I noticed a hollow. Hello. There it is again. <laughs> Good evening. I am... Good evening. I am Hecate, Queen of the Witches, or Witch of the Queens, whichever you prefer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, weird sisters. Sing. Double, double, toil and trouble. <laughs> now you've all got the words, so let's hear you join in the next chorus. Double, double, toil and trouble, and cauldron bubble. Like a gerbil in the sky. Oh, what, what am I doing? <laughs> Macbeth, Macbeth. You, you know my name. No, it was just an inspired guess. You evil creatures. Yes. 
We can! I hear you can foretell the future. <laughs> moment, that's very good. It's true, I can. Then tell the future for me. Hail, Macbeth. Hail, hail, hail. Not the weather. Give me a prediction. <laughs> Macbeth, thou shalt be thane of glum. And thou shalt be thane of corda. Thane? Thane? <laughs> what the hell's a thane? <laughs> Yes? You will not be king. <laughs> Yet you will be royal. Oh, oh, I'm going to be queen. The crown will sit upon your issue. My what? Issue, issue, issue. Oh, fall down. <laughs> Macbeth, let us get away from here, quick. <laughs> She is possessed by some wicked being. I should be so lucky. <laughs> well. Scene two. I've seen three. Uh, a room in Macbeth's castle. Macbeth is telling Lady Macbeth of the prophecies of the three weird sisters. that I should be king hereafter. I'm terribly sorry. I didn't hear the first bit. I know. The band played right across my life. <laughs> so, Macbeth shall be king and I queen. My lad, we must make sure that these weird sisters spoke the truth. Do you understand me? Uh, yes, but it would be easier without the accent. <laughs> oh, all right. I'll be straight with you. You cannot be king whilst Duncan still lives. And by good fortune, he is a guest within our walls this very night. He will soon be retiring. I have an evil trick to play. Do you not think there should be a surprise awaiting him in his chamber? Ah, yes, we'll make an apple pie bed. <laughs> he has been on the throne too long. I know, it's 40 minutes. <laughs> Applause, it's so sweet in my ears. He has what you want, Macbeth. There is something we should take from him, understand? Yes, yes, I shall take his wife. You mean his life? You take what you want. <laughs> you're scared. Take this, Macbeth. Uh -huh. Is this a dagger I see before me? No. Oh, no? <laughs> Is this a dagger? Yes. Go, and with it, carve your name on Scotland's throne. Very well. Oh, isn't it exciting? <laughs> and so Macbeth crept across the courtyard to do what he had to do. <laughs> then he went to Duncan's bedroom. <laughs> It was 12 o'clock and the porter told the bell. It's 12 o'clock, Bell. <laughs> and Macbeth. And Macbeth's dagger in hand stood at Duncan's door. Ah, Duncan, art thou within? Even as you slumber, shalt thou perish. Aye, for Macbeth shall claim thy throne. Prepare to die, Duncan. See now thy final words. Shut up, I'm trying to get some sleep in here. Are you in bed? Yes. I'm coming in. No, there's not room for two. <laughs> ah, go away. Now, I've come to stab you. Uh, Take that. 
I was right. It wasn't a dagger. <laughs> anyway, it is done now. A plan so that no one will suspect that it was me. First, a note on the body. It wasn't me. <laughs> Signed, Macbeth. <laughs> With that, Macbeth rejoined his wife, and they went to bed. But within seconds, a servant was shouting out the news. They've gone to bed, everyone! <laughs> then... In rushed Duncan's manservant. Oh, my lord, awake, awake. The king, my master, has given up his ghost. His lids are heavy and enclosed. His earthly coil has quit his gracious form. His soul has flown to Abram's bosom. And the bird of light has flit his aged frame. You mean he is dead? I don't know. I'll go and have a look. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> At this, Lady Macbeth began wailing. Ah, she blows! Her tears, her tears flowed like water. Macbeth sank to his knees. <laughs> then, then they brought in the corpse. I don't know what's all this thing. <laughs> Macbeth was not suspected. And when it was suggested that he should become king, the people clamoured for it with one voice. I want it. <laughs> The next day, Macbeth was crowned. <laughs> For months, Macbeth enjoyed the usurped throne. He locked himself inside so he could never be found out. <laughs> but he was haunted by what the weird sisters had said to Banquo. The crown shall sit upon your issue. My what? Issue, issue. All fall down. <laughs> it worried him. I still don't find it funny. <laughs> we must put an end to Banquo and his son, Fleance. Macbeth. I have hired two murderers. That'll be them. Ah. You must be the... Exactly. Quite. As you may know, I have a little... Embarrassment. Precisely. It's a rather... Delicate situation. Quite. You see, this man is rather, shall we say... Inconvenient. I thought perhaps he could... Uh... Meet with a... Shall we say... Little accident. <laughs> My very words. There is, of course, the question of... Uh, say no more. Splendid. I'm sure we'll come to some... Arrangement. arrangement. Good. So you'll... Exactly. And he will... Quite. And it'll be... Naturally. Naturally. Well, I think we... Understand, understand each, each other. other. Good. Good. <laughs> what have we got to do? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> that night, Banquo was murdered. <laughs> but his son, Fleance, escaped. When Macbeth heard this, he tore his hair and stamped on his rabbit. <laughs> Their consciences were beginning to plague them both. One night, Lady Macbeth got out of bed. Where are you going? I'm going to wash my hands. Oh, come on, I'm your husband. You can tell me. <laughs> I am going to wash my hands. Look, look at them, how red they are. Blood! No, washing up. Then you should use hairy liquid. Uh. He is right, you know. Hairy liquid. No more red hands. Leaves them soft and smooth. It's this spot. This damn spot. I can't get rid of it. And that's another reason why Lady Macbeth should use hairy liquid. Hairy liquid can't be beat. Keep your hands so soft and sweet. Boom. Hairy liquid. That was rotten. <laughs> 
No sooner had they gone back to bed than there appeared by the window the ghost of Banquo. Macbeth went as white as a sheet. I've never seen anyone quite so white. That's because Macbeth uses... <laughs> oh, my lord, there's some evil creature climbing on the bed. Pinkerty, what do you want with me? <laughs> well, now you're here, I may as well make use of you. Oh, I didn't expect cooperation. Can you foresee everything? Usually, but you surprised me just then. I must, I must know the answers to some questions. Shall I ever lose the crown? Will Fleance overcome me in battle? Will I be famous? Will I be rich? Macbeth, you shall be king. Tell Burnham Wood shall come to dance in her. <laughs> N.B. This line has puzzled scholars. Shakespeare usually finishes his scenes with a good joke. And we can only assume that Burnham Wood had some highly risible connotations to the Elizabethan audience. Some students think the whole line was a misprint and prefer to read, Macbeth, you shall be king till your granny gets onto the gas stove because then she'll be riding the range. Scene 8, Macbeth's stronghold. Oh, let go! Macbeth is standing on his bulwarks. No mean achievement. An alarm sounds. Enter a messenger who runs to Macbeth and throws himself on his knee. Get off my knee! Oh, sire, sire, I looked across the plain just now and I saw Burnham Wood move towards Dunsinane. <laughs> What's so funny about Burnham Wood? I'm sorry, I thought you said my granny's got onto the gas station. <laughs> oh! Burnham Wood! Oh! Then I'm doomed! Damn! <laughs> sire! I suspect it is but men disguised as trees. All right, I can deal with them. Release the dogs. No, no. <laughs> Good heavens, it's Hecate with leaves in her hair. Oh, we're having a laugh-in. We're the dancing unit of hippies incorporated. But why are you dressed as trees? We've got branches everywhere. Come! Come! Come and take a bow. <laughs> That concludes another I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again. The voices you heard belong to Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kenner, Bellotti. The songs were by Bellotti, arranged by Leon Cohen and played by Dave Lee and the boys. The boys, you should see them. <laughs> the script was written by Bellotti, Graham Garden and Derek Farmer. Any complaints about the production should be sent to Peter Titheridge and any congratulations to David Hatch. <laughs> Next week you can hear or miss once again John Otto Cleese saying... Oh no, it's I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, Again! My name is Angus and I always listen to you, sorry, I'll read that Sorry, I read that again. First broadcast on the 9th of June, 1968. A particularly good year for Louis Armstrong impersonations. This is Bill Oddie, and you're listening to I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, again.
the digital station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Because anybody who does a radio show, a television show, stage show, anything like that, anybody who plays football or any other sport always thanks the fans, don't they? So we, 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 we would be nothing without the crowd, without our fans, you know, etc, etc. And I guess we have to say the same thing, but I have also say that there were times when we came to hate them. Not individually, we very rarely um, picked out someone and said, I hate you, but the whole lot... The whole lot did get to drive us nuts, and it was because they became power mad. Once you put a bunch of people together and they all like the same thing, they seem to want to join in. So it's a bit like you go to a concert and the band or the singer starts a tune that everybody knows, and the whole audience join in, and they probably leap to their feet and join in. It's like swaying and all this sort of thing. And that's fine at a concert, but it's a bit weird during a comedy show. And that is what it became. We used to arrive on the Sunday afternoon to do a show in the evening and there would be a queue round the block, literally. And then when it first happened, we thought there was a protest going on or something, there was placards and whatever. And, you know, that was nice. That was all right outside the theatre. But once they got inside, you did sort of want to go out and say, now, look, we know you're having a good time. We've whipped you up into a, a frenzy of comedy and you'd love to be able to join in don't you know uh, but we couldn't do that we needed somebody with authority who could and David Hatch was the man to do exactly that and David was one of the few people I think who would have dared to go out onto that stage and sort of discipline the audience but it didn't stop him doing it because the more he disciplined them the more they they yelled and cheered and threw things and so on and so forth and I hoped Kind of prove my point. Here is the wonderful David Hatch, the late David Hatch, I'm afraid, who is doing the warm-up for the show and did the warm-up for the show and um, just got better and better and better at it. Terrific. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening, Rabble. Very nice to see you all again. Welcome to the Playhouse for our 1970 seasonal show, what the Sunday Times call this morning a seasonal snigger with Radio Prune. <laughs> I hope we're going to have more sniggers and lots of laughs from you. We've only got 15 minutes of script, and it's a 45-minute show. <laughs> so if you could, you know, help us along a bit. Uh, for those who haven't been before, various stages, you'll see me make a signal to you like that. Please take that as a cue for applause and don't stand up and leave. <laughs> I always give you the cuts, since you're so good to come along. Uh, I know you like to know what we've cut out for various reasons. So in your scripts, it's page six, line two is the first cut, if you'd like to turn to that. And it's surely they're not that big. <laughs> page 22, line four. Hello, operator, I've been cut off. <laughs> and speech three, uh, yes, now there are various names that are synonymous with filth. And so we cut them out and we've cut out three names from this week's script, Robert Dougal, Billy Graham and Judith Chalmers. <laughs> The lovely David Hatch there trying to put the audience in their place, which is a large box with a padlock on it, I'd have thought. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen, the programme you are about to hear is truly historical. That's um, historical, by the way, not hysterical. Um, actually, some of it is hysterical, although it's up to you to judge that. And some of it is, um, from my point of view at least, just uh, a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, it's up to you, right? OK, and there's a significant thing why it's a historical programme. It's because it first went out on the 6th of April, 1969. Now, as it happens, I know, and anybody who's a goodies fan... Anybody listening, please? We started, the goodies started, early in 1970, so the chances are that Graham Garden and myself, as the writers of both the goodies, and I'm sorry I'll read that again, were probably working on both series at the same time, which, um, which is our excuse when it's not very good. Anyway, here it comes. <laughs> 6th of April, 1969. I'm sorry, I'll read that again. And, oh yes, it's the last show of that series. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with slight embarrassment we present I've Another Pack of Cards, <laughs> The Radio Conjurer. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You will notice I have absolutely nothing up my... <laughs> notice carefully, I have in my hands a two-foot length of... <laughs> absolutely flawless, no joints. I take the scissors and cut it so. And again. <laughs> and now I have... I put these four pieces into a completely empty tap twice and behold a completely rejoined two foot Thank you, thank you, you're too kind I would now like to end by playing a solo on the Lithuanian nose fiddle Let's have some sanity, for goodness sake. Yes, let's have I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, with the voices of Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall and Milotti. And here is John Otto Cleese to set his seal on the proceedings. Oink, 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 oink. <laughs> This is the final programme of our series, and tonight's survey is, appropriately enough, the last one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Examines love. <laughs> sex. <laughs> and marriage. <laughs> so, let's begin with sex. <sighs> Yes, that was nice. And now, <laughs> let's get on to love. Without it, what would we all be? Frustrated. <laughs> what is that certain something that first attracts... that first attracts a boy to a girl? No-one can say. I can. Not on radio. <laughs> I suppose, really, the special allure of a woman was probably best summed up by an eminent psychoanalyst when he said... <laughs> the French, they tell us, often die for it. Oh, I am dying for it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But to different people, love is many different things. To some, it is dancing cheek to cheek on a moonlit balcony with a lissom blonde. To others, it is a warm cuddle and a cup of tea by the fireside with a wife. To me, to me, it's a quick snog in the one and nines with Cynthia Prune of 17 Chepstow Villas. Oh, Cynthia, are you listening? I love you, Cynthia. And where better to start a study of the ways of love than Cynthia Prune? No! no! Oh, all than a spring day in the country. As the dewdrops hang on the cobwebs, like so many dewdrops hanging on cobwebs, the female spider, having laid her eggs, enacts the last rite of her ritual breeding cycle by tenderly eating the male. That's what I call bed and breakfast. <laughs> And a cheeky little chaffinch beckons to his mate. Here, mate! <laughs> and a dainty turtle dove calls his loved one. Sorry, there's no reply caller. <laughs> Down in the orchard, the mayflies merrily play at piggyback, and even the lowly maggots munch away in pairs and apples and plums. <laughs> and in the meadow, even the humble cow knows the promise of romance. Fear not, Buttercup. You shall go to the bull. <laughs> love, love is everywhere. Birds do it. Bees do it. Even educated please does it. No, he doesn't. <laughs> ah, how wondrous it all is. How pure, how good. And see, here comes a country lad with his lady fair, tripping hand in hand. My love is like a red, red rose, all newly sprung in June. My love is like a melody. And her name is Cynthia Prune. <laughs> Cynthia, come back, Cynthia. David, don't humiliate yourself anymore. Can't you see she's no good for you, David? Cynthia. Let her go. You're worth something better than Cynthia. She's no good. She's never been any good. She's deceitful. Deceitful? She's a wanton hussy. Wanton? She's corrupt, promiscuous, wicked and evil. Besides, she's coming out with me tonight. <laughs> but if love remains strangely abstract, sexual impulses are infinitely more definable. How well most of us recognise those desires first awakened so long ago when Eve offered Adam the apple. Here, have a bit. <laughs> another. <sighs> now? Oh, I can't eat another one. <laughs> Courtship is always a tricky problem. It is up to the man to make some indication of his wishes and the woman to understand and decipher his needs. Sometimes lovers use the language of the eyes. Aye, aye. Or the approach may be tentative and oblique. Um, uh, excuse me. Yes? I couldn't help noticing that you had a bag of jelly babies. Oh. Oh, yes, I have. Uh, nice, aren't they? Yes, very nice. Um. Yes? You see, I wondered if perhaps... Yes? You wouldn't mind if I had... Yes? Uh, ...one of your jelly babies. Oh. Uh, please, can I have a jelly baby? Well... Please? I know what you really want. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Now, can I have a jelly baby? <laughs> or sometimes directness is the successful approach. I might as well tell you I'm only after one thing. Good, because I've only got one. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, what happened to the other three? 
but sex does bring its many problems. After all, some people breed like rabbits. And you can tell them by their long, floppy ears. <laughs> but, of course, it is very often suggested that more sex should be taught in the classroom. All right, pay attention. Stop reading, Tomkins. What are you doing with Janet under the desk? Stop it! I've told you that I don't want any trigonometry in my classroom. <laughs> right, all get in the back row, in pairs. Dobson, you'll have to be a girl. <laughs> oh, you are. Well, you have got a lot to learn, haven't you? Okay, muss up your hair, loosen your ties, and get out your first year Kama Sutras. Page one, chatting up. Boys, after me. Oh, yeah. Hello, sweetheart. What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like <laughs> this? Hello, sweetheart. What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? Girls, coy giggles, tee-hee. <laughs> Come on, giggle, Deirdre. Don't do your Latin now, naughty girl. Boys, place left hand on girl's right knee. Girls, remove hand with your left, raising your right and slap. Good. Now kiss and make up. Boys, kiss and girls make up. And here, here is tonight's homework. Hello. If you have any trouble, get your father to help. And for heaven, for heaven's sake, get a good night's rest. You've got an exam tomorrow. But seriously, though, it is vital that children should be taught the facts of life early, clearly and concisely. Otherwise, there's no knowing what they might get hold of. I know where babies come no, don't, from. Don't, don't, do you? Where, where, where? They come where, where, where from come St Chad's from? Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> My mum went to St Chad's. Yeah. Four days later, yeah. comes back with Brother Henry. Good Lord. Where did your mum get Nilly? Where, St Chad's. Oh, there you are. Yeah. I think that Dr Chapman's got a lot to answer yeah. for, handing, handing out sick babies. Sick? Of course they are. They wouldn't be in hospital if they were well. Right, that, that doesn't explain where they come from in the first place, though, does it? He makes them. Who does? Dr Who? Chapman. He don't make them. He does. He don't, because my dad had a talk, talk, talk with me about it. Mm. What do you say well, then? Well, you know flowers, right? Yes. Well, 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 you know they have seeds, right? Well, lady flowers have seeds, and men flowers have seeds, and they mix the seeds up, mm -hmm. and they grow up into baby flowers, right? Yeah. Yeah, my dad says it's just the same with human beings. Oh. Mind you, I don't believe him. I mean, I've been through four bowls of dahlias, and I ain't got nothing yet. <laughs> I think it's sex, isn't it? I oh. mean, what attracts your St Bernard to the poodle next door? Stupidity. No, <laughs> no it's sex, surely. They, they do things, and, and men and women do things, too. What, you mean, like rolling about, barking? That and sort of thing. <laughs> and they're, and they're... I know something you don't know. What's that you don't? Well, I do. Come here, whisper, whisper. Alice Vickers loves Tom Maguire. Pass it on, go on. Hey, hey, Alice Vickers has joined the choir. Pass it on. <laughs> hey, 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 Alice's knickers are on fire. Pass it on. Hey. Ah, oh, there it goes again. I sometimes think without that band, I wouldn't know where one bit ended and another began. Anyway, but as the high spot of a love affair should come that most exciting day in a young girl's life. And then there's the wedding, too. <laughs> A wedding is a traditional ceremony. The bride wears white to symbolise purity, and the groom wears black. And, it... <laughs> and it's a show put on as much to entertain the guests as the young couple. But when all is said and done, marriage is a wonderful thing. A matter of sharing, men and women living together. Though, of course, there are times when men like to be alone. Joan, show the ladies the garden, would you, darling? We chaps have got a few things to say to each other. Men's talk, you understand? Certainly, darling. Come along, girls. Now, fellas, I bought the most divine pink underpants. Oh, oh, <laughs> but 
But let us conclude with a brief picture of married bliss as we eavesdrop on a typical domestic scene of our own typical married couple. John? Yes, Mary? John, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but it's just that, well, I've got a feeling lately that you, you just don't love me anymore. John, forgive me if I'm wrong. There's nothing to forgive, Mary. You're quite right. <laughs> I knew it. You think of me quite differently from the way you used to. That's not true. I don't think of you at all. Oh, what's gone wrong, John? I suppose I should have known all along. Our marriage has always been a love-hate relationship. Quite, quite, Mary. Yes, I love me and I hate you. <laughs> I suppose I should have read the signs at the wedding. I would have thought even you would know the ring went on my finger, not through my nose. <laughs> and why did you wait 40 minutes before you said, I do? I was timing it properly. I, I wanted to get the love. <laughs> and you never bring me flowers nowadays. I did last week. A wreath. <laughs> oh, John. Why don't you take me on your knee like you used to? I'm, I'm bored with playing ventriloquists. Oh, well. <laughs> I've got to face it, haven't I? I'm, I'm no longer your little pet. No, no, not since I got the rhinoceros. <laughs> He's a fine yachtsman and he does a very presentable Archie Andrews. What, what more could I need? I haven't given up, you know, John. Really, I'm very happy with you. Why didn't you tell me? I didn't want to spoil things for you. <laughs> I do still find you very, very attractive. Do you understand that? Perfectly. So do I. Oh, John, John, can't you see the love light burning in my eyes? Darling, your lashes are on fire. <laughs> shouldn't smoke that pipe. Please, John, John, try and love me just a little bit. All right, Mary, just a little bit. Come here and sit down on the sofa. Mm. That's nice, isn't it? Mm. Now, look at me. Notice anything? Uh-huh. Look, I'm wearing your favourite shorty nighty. Give it back at once. John! Listen! I've got something I'm trying to say. What? Something very personal. All right, I'll leave the room. No, John! <laughs> very soon, you will be hearing the patter of tiny feet. You, you don't mean... Yes. I'm taking up tap dancing. <laughs> Many of you have written in to ask Bill Oddie to write a nice, simple, tuneful little song. But he's written this. Sing of Penny Lane, you've heard them sing of strawberry fields and blackberry ways. But there's another street I know, not very far, so shall we go and see it today? Is that okay? Denmark Street, and nothing ever happens there in Denmark Street. One's going anywhere in Denmark Street And they've got nothing to do Take me to Denmark Street People walking to and fro 
final part of our thrill pack cereal, Professor Prune and the Electric Time Trousers. <laughs> the story so far. Professor Prune, Percy and Trixie have travelled all over time and space in the Professor's incredible trousers. But the trousers have been stolen by Fetish, the evil interplanetary arch-fiend. At last, the professor and his chums find the trousers in a strange trouser-worship temple. But as they are about to reclaim them, the arch-villain fetish appears. And now, listen on as we find what finally happens in the quest for... The Time Trousers. In the strange trouser temple, the professor and co are confronted by the evil fetish. Suddenly, suddenly they hear a strange rumbling noise. And the whole temple collapses and falls on their heads and kills them all, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> and now... Tonight is music night. And this is David Hatch with the David Hatch strings to bring you melodies for young and old. <laughs> I'm crooning, it's my new image. <laughs> a song, a smile, and a tear. David Hatch. <laughs> what about the cereal? Oh, I finished that. I'm the narrator. It's a push-off. But David, this is not right. Right. This is not democratic. This island home of ours is great <laughs> through the principles of democracy. Government of the people, for the people, by, with, or from the people. And this is a democratic program. If we did it all your way, why, that would be dictatorship. You see, David, there were others to consider. All right? All right. Good. Now we'll do it my way. The John no! Osmond way. Come on, come on. Line up over there. Line up. Come on, Oddie. Jump to it. Sorry. Now, on with the story. The Time Trousers, part 13. 
Exclamation mark. Miraculously arrived, the Professor Percy and Trixie struggle from the ruins. Oh, oh miraculously alive. Yes, now, follow me. I'm in charge now, and I will lead you to safety. Oh, corks, crisps. Quickly, Trixie, we can escape into this cave. Oh, no, you us. don't, for in that cave lurks the fiendish monster Goethe Demerung Mouse. <laughs> Hideous creature, half man, half mouse, who lures his victims to their doom with his sweet singing. Oh, Uncle, listen. The hills are alive. And to now, and song, and song for Europe. Contamination and mutilation. Oh, oh, doomed by the dreadful Goethe Deverung Mouse. Yes, inch by inch, the Professor and Trixie are lured towards the fearsome teeth of the mouse monster. <laughs> to inherit the power of the time trousers. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> oh, who will save us now? I will save you. Oh, no, you won't, Joe Kendall. Oh, yes, I will, John Cleese. Take that. <laughs> now, I'm telling the story. Oh, good. What happens? Suddenly, Professor Prune fell down a deep hole in the ground. Oh, hey! Leaving Percy and Trixie alone at last. Oh. <laughs> oh, I say, Trixie, why are you looking at me like that? Oh, Percy, I may still have the voice of a 12-year-old girl, but it's 36 years since we started out. I am now a mature woman of 48. <laughs> oh, Trixie, oh. Oh, Percy. Oh, Trixie, my little vampire caterpillar. John! Sorry, my little chicken. Oh, Percy, you say the nicest things. Oh, Trixie. And as Trixie looked up into the limpid depths of Percy's eyes, Suddenly, she knew that their destinies were to entwine, that they were to be together forever. And as her eyes misted over, a ringing as of bells chiming across the childhood meadows of a dream drifted unbidden into her ears, and sparkling lights danced before her eyes. Well, that's what happens if you let a woman tell the story, see? Dearie me. Well, I suppose I'd better take over again. The others are obviously incapable of ending the serial properly. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, yes, you are. Ooh. Now, this is how the story really ended. Nobody was left, nobody at all. Nobody except a little, wizened, very, very funny old figure in black tie and tails. You never guess who he was. He introduced himself. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, Grimbling at your service. <laughs> Yes, 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 he said, quietening the madding crowd. Yes, he was grimbling. Of course he was. Debonair hero of so many adventures. And what's this? What is this? The dashing, handsome fellow pulls from his pocket. A 16-piece orchestra. Yes, oh joy, oh joy, he's going to sing. How glad I am. Oh, you might have seen a butler buckling. And you could have seen a flunky flunk. Or a footman foot, or a tweeny tween. But there's one thing you do not see, though you may have seen a chauffeur shopping. And you should have seen a skivvy skiv. I know there's one sight you have missed. <sighs> as surely as I live. And I only just do. Oh, you've never seen a grimble grimbling. There were an awful lot of grimblings done. They're grimbling here, they're grimbling there. In fact, they're grimbling in places you've never thought possible. Oh, 
policeman I was telling the story, I gave you all a fair crack of the whip. Oh, promises, promises. <laughs> yes, even you. But now, when you take over, you're also selfish. Quite agree, David. I'm going to take over again. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I... <sighs> and welcome to the final part of Professor Prune and the Time Trousers. Help! I'm still down a hole in the ground. With one bound, the professor was free. Oh, I'm free! And there before him lay the Time Trousers. But as he ran towards them... Not so fast, Professor. Oh, fetish. The same. Here we go. <laughs> so, Professor, we meet again. Oh, you monster, but I'm not beaten yet. Oh, no? No. Oh! You see? You see? Go on. I will. Please do. You see? I am not all that I seem. And so saying, the professor cast aside the guise of an elderly loony and revealed himself as... Ah, how do you do? Do you go to... Not boring you, am I? Good evening. <laughs> yes, it was Arnold Totteridge, but Fetish too had a surprise in store, for he cast aside his disguise to reveal himself as none other than Freddie Waring. So William St. Alan with Hunslet and Great Britain, <laughs> fellas and rowers, that's all you're getting. Just a minute. This is ridiculous. You're not giving anybody else a chance. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm telling the story now. Oh, no, you're not. Oh. oh, oh, oh. Now it's my turn. <laughs> Tim's turn. Ah, <laughs> oh, now where were we? Ah, oh, yes. And so the professor sprang into his trousers and sped away, alone. Oh. But there was to be a happy ending. That night, when the professor looked in the cupboard for something for his supper, all he could find was a soggy old pudding. <laughs> Lady Constance. Oh, you gorgeous creature, Bruni. Oh, you can't know how long I've waited for this moment. Oh, about 150 years, by the look of it. Oh, Bruni, we shall be together forever, and I shall never look back at what's behind me. Very wise. Oh, and what wonderful things are in front of me. Wonderful, no. Amazing, perhaps. Oh, oh Bruni. Have you never dreamt of this moment? Only after eating cheese. Oh, you rascal! Oh, Constance, Constance! Oh, Constance, or may I call you Baggy? Yes. This, oh, you see, this can never be. As far as I'm concerned, it would always be one-sided. One side would do, I'm not greedy. But can't you see, Constance, my answer must be no. I cannot marry you. Oh. Oh, so it's come to this, has it? Oh! I gave the professor the best years of my life, and this is how he treats me. Thrown aside like a used tea bag. Oh, cast out into the world without a friend. Nobody, nobody to stand by me, to comfort me alone. Oh, will no one help me in my hour of need? Is there no one left who loves me? Whoa! Spot! Yes, it was Spot the dog. Oh, woof! Oh, what a little puppy! And so it all ended happily after all. Puff. <laughs> <laughs>
pathetic. Absolutely, Absolutely pathetic. All right, I suppose I'll just have to think of an ending to suit you all. Uh, how about a party? Oh, yes, that'd be nice. All right, then. That night, the professor held a party in the time trousers and everybody was there. All was forgiven and they were all friends again. familiar face was missing from the revelry, one who should have been among that happy throng, but who stood outside alone. Yes, me. <laughs> After all I've done for them, ungrateful lot, look at them all having their rotten party in those rotten time trousers. Well, see if I care. I can get along without them, thank you very much. I should say so. Excuse me, Mr. Atch. Oh, it's Mrs. McCrockerty, the char lady. Mr. Hatch, sir, I found these old trousers lying around, so I've pressed them for you, sir. Oh, thanks, but these aren't my trousers. Wait a tick. Trousers? She's pressed them. Pressed them flat. Hello? Hello, anyone in there? Hello? Can anybody hear me? No. No answer. Well, what am I going to do? Well, <clears throat> I, I suppose there's only one thing I, uh, I can do. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, Tonight is music night. Take my hand, I'm a stranger in paradise. That was the last programme in the present series of I'm Sorry, I'll Read It Again. And in it, you heard the voices of Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kenner, Bilotti, bringing you a script written by Graham Garden and Bilotti. The song was Bilotti's too, and Leon Cohn arranged it along with the rest of the music, which was played by Dave Lee and the boys. Production was by David Hatch and Peter Titheridge. And now the Right Reverend John Otto Cleese will give you his valediction. Goodbye, Tillits. I'm sorry I'll read that again, again. sad then and I'm sad again now 6th of April 1969 the final programme of that particular series and uh, I think I think if there's one word that sums up that last time trousers episode it has to be indulgent yes and if there's two words they'd be very indulgent and three words would be bloody hell that's indulgent that's four isn't it sorry You're listening to Four Extra, and you're listening to me, Bill Oddie. And you're also listening to I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, Again. The digital station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra.
Okay, now coming up fairly soon uh, is um, an extravaganza. There's a whole hour show. But before we actually listen to him play it, there's uh, a bit of a preamble to this one because this was the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of I'm Sorry We Again. The show went out on the 25th of December. We don't mind working at Christmas. In 1989. And uh, the last show before that had been 1973. Right. What has happened? Have people changed? Are they as affable? Do they have a different sense of humour? Had we fallen into penury and oblivion? Well, Tim Graham and I had gone off and were doing the goodies. In fact, we actually started doing that before I'm Sorry ended, and we were writing Doctor in the House, and I think we were definitely doing too much. Uh, But, of course, one member of our team, a tall man, I think you know who I'm talking about, Mr Cleese, he had become the most famous comedy figure, an icon, no less. There are people in primitive countries that worship John. And um, when we asked him if he would do it, he, he was... Very, oh, it took, it took weeks before we could persuade him to do it. So Graham and I started writing the script, right? Just imagine this. We started writing the script, and we would just... We'd finished the script. We, were, we rang up, and we said, uh, the office, and said, look, we've got the script, we'll bring it in. And um, we got told, ah, John's not really very keen on doing it. He hadn't read the script. John's not very keen on doing it. I'm sorry. And (laughs) Graham and I were ready to kill him at this point. Um, (laughs) We said, just tell him it's on. We're all doing it. You must do it. And at moments like that, a scriptwriter such as myself and Graham has only one recourse, really, and that's put it in the script. You know, if John's being a bit of a naughty boy, put it in the script. And he reveled it. He loved it. <laughs> so here it is from 25th of December, how Christmassy, 1989. I can barely say that word. The name's Hatch. David Hatch, Managing Director Radio, IC Drama and Variety Shows. Known for short as Mandy, R-I-C, D-A-Vs. <laughs> My story begins one dark and stormy night in a small country vicarage. Congratulations, Mrs Hatch. It's a BBC executive. <laughs> Oh, dear, I was hoping for a boy. (laughs) Seventy-five years later, I was on my way to success. Fame and fortune beckoned, but I stayed at the BBC. It's tough at the top, and it's a little bit bendy in the middle. (laughs) But I don't complain. In fact, in fact, I never complained until that fateful day, only a few short weeks ago, when I realised that BBC Radio was facing the greatest crisis in its long history. Only drastic action could avert the catastrophe that loomed. And the action I was forced to take was so drastic that the entire nation trembled as it heard once more that dreadful sound that it had hoped never to hear again. Yes, Lord, love us, it's I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again. 
with the voices and what's left of the bodies of... <laughs> John Cleese, Bill Oddie, Tim Brooke Taylor, David Hatch, Graham Garden and Joe Kendall, with the music of Dave Lee and the boys. Boys. <laughs> and here once more for the penultimate time is John Otto Cleese to say... It's I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Again! <laughs> Sorry, I do beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, let me begin at the beginning. It all started with an emergency meeting of the BBC Board of Governors. <laughs> they were practising links for Terry and June. <laughs> the Director-General banged his gavel on the table. Oh, me gavel! <laughs> yes, nothing's changed in the last 25 years. Governors, a catastrophe is looming over the BBC. There's a threat to the Busty Bunny Club? No, oh, no, no, no. Surely you know what the BBC stands for? Not much. Well, that's true, but it means the British Broadcasting Corporation. Broadcasting? Nope, nope, sorry. No, you've lost me there. Uh, what's he going on about? <laughs> Don't you chappies ever watch the wireless? Certainly not. Nasty, modern, noisy, long-haired wireless. Yes, in our day, wireless meant exactly what it said. No wires. Uh, no transistors. Nothing, just an empty box. Yep, you could listen to it for hours, sitting by the fireside. Twiddling your knobs. Couldn't, couldn't hear a thing. Cos you went deaf. Pardon? the corner of our street. Thought it was. Yeah. Those were the days. Oh, yeah. You could get a little peace. And quiet. Oh, no, she wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> In the war. Could pick up Winston Churchill with one hand. Uh, the situation is grave. We are faced with a wireless crisis. <laughs> I'm afraid there is, and only one man can save the day. You sent for me. Ah, come in, Mandy. Take a seat. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Bring it back. <laughs> Sit down Thank on the chair. Now then, Mandy, our organisation is in serious trouble. You mean the government's plan to privatise the BBC? No, 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 it's just a wild, irresponsible, nonsensical rumour put about by the government, so don't worry about that. Anyway, <laughs> you've put in a bid for your shares, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. No yeah. problem there, then. No, no, listen, this is serious. It appears that every single one of our programmes is a danger to the ecology, and if that news gets out, we'll have the friends of the earth down on our heads like a ton of muesli. But it's too late. It was on the news this morning. Ah, oh, this is appalling. You mean to tell me the BBC's putting out news programmes? Well, yes, we've been broadcasting the news for weeks. Oh, I'll say this about being DG. You live and learn. <laughs> they ran that story on yesterday's Today programme. Switch on now. We can catch the repeat. This is the Today programme with Peter Hobgoblin. And Valerie single person what rumours? And... <laughs> and Brian Redhead is up in Blackpool. Speculation is rife that the government planned to sell off the BBC to private investors. I went along to put this to the Home Secretary and I took my tape recorder with me. What happened? He gave me ten quid for it. <laughs> 
This is Brian Redhead in Blackpool, where I'll be covering the Tory party conference in a very silly voice. And over in Buxton, the SLD party conference will be covered by Cyril Smith. Meanwhile, in Middleton Keynes, the Green Party Conference has been receiving a grim warning from Friends of Earth spokesperson Jonathan Porridge. <coughs> <coughs> Fellow Greens, that's us. I have grave news. Oh, oh dear. dear. It has recently become clear Go Go on. that the greatest single threat, in fact, the only single threat to the environment, yes. is. Yes, yes, yes. BBC Radio. Leave it up, Jonathan. No, 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 it's true. Well, stone us. Take the ozone layer. Thank you. We used to blame the destruction of the ozone layer on those Chloroflora Robson Reader's Digest coupons, <laughs> didn't we? CFCs. CFCs. But we were wrong. The fact is, the ozone layer is being wiped out by the Derek Jameson Show. <laughs> oh, yes. Listen to this. Morning, morning. Do they mean us? They surely do. Ha, 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 ha. What about the rainforest? What about them? Well, 1,000 trees are being felled every day to provide spare heads for Radio 1 DJs. Hi there, this is Simon Bates. Timber! Oh! oh, yes, I know it will come as a terrible shock to the Simon Bates fan club, which consists of three woodpeckers and a lumberjack. But... <laughs> It is true, and there is worse. Mercy, mercy. Mass slaughter of whales for their blubber to pad out the archer scripts. And to provide grease for David Jacobs' hair. Oh, bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Atmospheric pollution by the lead from Steve Wright's jokes. Oh. And now, is this the kind of world we want to live in? Yes. No. No, 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 no. The world we want to live in is a place where all creatures can live in peace and in harmony. Now, some would call it paradise. Some would call it utopia. But I would call it a cue for a song. Oh, yeah, sing us a song, Jonathan. No, no. no. Too late, too late. <laughs> Early every morning I throw my bedroom window high And let the good clean air refresh my room With welly boots upon my feet I tiptoe through my garden suite And watch the sun come peeping through the gloom I can't see, I can't see, turn the lights on and my saw away sun voice See the blind nocturnal mole Shyly leap back in his hole <laughs> and listen to the goldfish sweetly sing <laughs> A centipede goes tripping by And look, there goes a butterfly <laughs> And hark, the birds are warbling on the wing On the wing Little flowers shake the dewdrops from the hair <laughs> And new green shoots up pushing through the clay. <laughs> I hear them take a good deep breath of morning air. <laughs> as I listen to the breaking of the day.
flowers yawning. There's no more snow, and oh, 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 it's spring, spring, spring. All the birdies are tweet tweeting. Up above the sun is beating. So sing with me, go it's spring, spring, spring. All the little crows are crowing. You can hear them in the meadow every day. On the friendly farmers going to see them on their way. All the bluebells are all ringing. And the bumblebees are stinging. Everyone can tell, oh, well, 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 it's spring, spring, spring. There's a vulture on my shoulder, and he says that I look colder. And the hyena goes, spring, spring, spring. Little girls are growing pimples, little boys are growing dimples. And the cockatoo says to you, it's spring, spring, spring. In the meadow, Joy is waiting. She is ready there for every little boy. You can hear them celebrating as they feel the springs of joy. Oh, get off. All the little lambs are bleating. They will soon be ripe for eating. So fill your tongue, sing yum, yum, yum. It's spring, spring, spring. Yes, it's spring. Thank you. And there's a new love. It will come to you if only you can wait. I can't wait. I'm sorry. I just can't wait. Oh. I can hear the one that you love down by the old farm gate. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> yes, John, what was that? A five-bar gate. I thought it was... All around us, June is busting and the little boys are lusting. Director General, Director General, I can see your problem. Well, I, I, I dressed it rather a hurry. <laughs> I meant, I meant the threat to the environment. What are you going to do? Ah, well, we're going to broadcast nothing but recycled programmes. That's brilliant. That's terrific. Oh, well done, well, of course, of course. No, that's terrific, oh, Don't forget, I, I was the man who discovered Jimmy Young. They can't call me out of touch. You're, You're out, out of touch. touch! Oh, I was wrong about that, too. <laughs> Recycled programme. Finally sunk in, has it? Good. Now, here's what I want you to do. But I can't play the piano. <laughs> in that case, get back to your office straight away, take all the current BBC programmes off the air and dump them. So my mission is to fill the airwaves with healthy, energy-saving, environment-friendly, recycled programmes. OK? Just leave it to me. Taxi! All right, where to, Gov? Just get me out of this boardroom. Oh, I'm on my way home. Which way are you going? Back to my office. Glasgow any good? Near enough. Right-o. There wasn't a moment to lose. Within weeks, I was back in my office where my faithful secretary, Miss Givings, was waiting for me. <laughs> Miss Givings, there isn't a moment to lose. Right. Put them back on. But it's Tuesday. Nevertheless, in order to save the world, we're going to have to recycle old radio programmes. What, again? Get me the dynamic new head of radio comedy. He's already here. Arnold Totteridge. Ah. Oh, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, I'm the dynamic new, do you, do you, do you, dynamic new head of... 
Radio Diodo. I'm the dynamic new head of... A new head of Radio Diodo, head of dynamic... Um, what, what was I trying to say? You're trying to say I'm head of radio comedy. So am I. Oh. <laughs> right. Now, I want to recycle a load of tired old jokes and clapped-out routines. But where am I going to find them? Oh, don't ask me. You're head of radio comedy. Oh, God. oh no, wait. I, I've got it. It's easy, the answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll... Sorry. I'm... Read that. Easy. It's easy. It's I'm... Sorry. I'll... Sorry. I'm sorry. I'll... So, I'm sorry. What was the question? Of course. <laughs> anyway, that's it. We'll recycle the Clithero kit. And call it the Crankies. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'm sorry, I'll read that again. What did you say? Oh, that's going back a bit. I said, uh, how do you do, do you do, do you? I'm the dynamic new, do you do? I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm not boring you, am I? I'm sorry, I'll read that again. That's what we'll recycle. You mean the old team working together? Well, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> now, what were the names of those two bods who wrote all the scripts? Mm, Bill Garden and Graham Oddy. I'll get on to them right away. <laughs> it wasn't easy to track down the writers, mainly because they'd changed their names to Graham Garden and Bill Oddy. <laughs> But eventually, I traced them to London's Dockland in a block of yuppie flats which had recently been converted into a disused warehouse. <laughs> come, in. come in! Come in, come in, come in, Hello, I'm Mandy. <laughs> you probably remember me better as old Kipperfeet. Oh, good Lord! It's boring old Hatch! What can we do for you, Mandy? Well, look, I'm looking for a load of pathetic old gags, feeble puns, stupid voices, appalling songs, so naturally I've come to you. <laughs> You're still writers, aren't you? Well, I'll go. Oh, yeah, I'll be writers, oh, I should yeah. say so. Yeah. Are you yeah. sure? Yes, yeah. yeah, look, look, here's something I wrote this morning. It's a prescription. <laughs> it's quite a funny one. <laughs> You're obviously not writers. You're a doctor and a bird watcher. Oh, no, 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 no. Give us a break, Mandy. All we have to do is to dig up an old I'm sorry, I'll read that again script. Yes, then cut out all the jokes that are rude or offensive or bad taste or out of date or unfunny. And then stick them all together to make a show. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And I'll get the original cast together. What? The three of us and Joe Kendall? Oh, you'll never get her. Uh, you know, her car- what? No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Ooh, no, <laughs> it's turning into somebody, but I don't know who. <laughs> Hope it's somebody funny. <laughs> oh, 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 you'll never get her. You know, her career has really taken off ever since she changed her name. What to? Meryl Streep. <laughs> well, she'll do it as soon as she hears she'll be working with John Cleese. <gasps> John Cleese! At that very moment, squillionaire recluse John Otto Cleese was orbiting the Earth aboard his customised space shuttle, the Ferret One. The ageing, crazed, eccentric, cutter-sorry figure, encased in empty Kleenex boxes and latex rubber sheeting because of his neurotic obsession with not being mistaken for Basil Fawlty. 
long grey beard hung down to his knees, looped up behind his back and swirled round the top of his head in a bouffant quiff, <laughs> held in place with blue tack to conceal the ravages of a failed, rather pathetic hair transplant. <laughs> Weak. Weak from the exertion of counting his money, he roamed the lonely corridors of the shuttle in search of his faithful manservant, navigator, chef, charperson and psychiatrist, Robin. Robin, open the airlock. What, what are you doing in there? <laughs> yes, on second thoughts, don't open the airlock. <laughs> right, I'm finished now, sir. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> I haven't finished. Oh, sir, I've had an urgent message from the BBC. I've told them I'm not buying. No, 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 no. they want to employ you, sir, apparently, on a radio programme. <laughs> me work on radio? It is a radio. Oh, it made me laugh, too, sir. What shall I tell them, then? Uh, tell them I'll do it. Yes, you what? I'll do it, but on two conditions. What are they, sir? One, they let me do a silly walk. Two, I can sing the ferret song. Oh. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. They'll never agree to that, sir. Well, please ask them, Robin. Please, please, please let me do the silly walk. Please. Do you know what it's been like all these years not being allowed to do the comedy legs? In Silverado, they wouldn't even let me hop. The part of the sheriff was crying out for it, but no, they said... They, would, they wouldn't even let the horse do it. And the ferret song was cut to... My God, Robin, even in my own movie, they held me back. You know, it was going to be a ferret called Wanda. But no. Oh, no. No, no, Mr. Smart-Ass Kevin. Clock my Oscar. Klein bastard said, let's make it a fish. A fish. No, I, I protested. I pro... Shut up. I protested. But Michael Two-Face Kill My Dog's Palin said a fish. Brilliant. Bloody Palin. 80 days, more like 80 years. Stick a, stick a chip up his nose and he's anybody's. I mean, a fish can't do a silly walk, can it? Not like a ferret, I mean, can't it? Hello? Hello? I've <laughs> just been nipped down to the BBC, come back again. Um, apparently, they've agreed to your conditions. Oh, thank you, thank you. We'll be recording his book for next Sunday. Sir. Oh, I can't wait, the silly walk, the ferret song. Ah, but there's a catch. They want you to do a John and Mary sketch. <laughs> Who with? It's all right. Middle Streep? Who? John, is that you? I'm in the bedroom. Eleanor, darling. Eleanor? John, it's me. Mary, your wife. Oh, I'm so sorry, darling. I, I forgot who you were. <laughs> you can't have forgotten. You only went out to buy a paper. Well, whopping's a long way, Eleanor. <laughs> Eleanor, Eleanor, Eleanor. That's all I ever hear. Eleanor this, Eleanor that, Eleanor the other. Oh, you have found out. <laughs> Waking, sleeping, eating, breathing, Eleanor. She's constantly on your lips. <laughs> You've been spying on us. Anyway, I, I was only practising mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. You thought she was dead? No, I, I thought you were dead. <laughs> John. <laughs> John, John, don't lie to me. You were, you were, you were kissing each other and it, it, 
It hurts, John. No, honestly, it doesn't. It's rather nice. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it hurts me, John. Oh, have you been kissing her, too? <laughs> oh, stop it, John. Don't you remember that sweet, simple girl you married? Soft and gentle and innocent, faithful and full of hope, John. Full of trust, full of... Brown ale. <laughs> John, come through into the other room, won't you? I've got a surprise for you. Not after all these years you haven't. Oh, why, 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 are we in, why are we in darkness, darling? I, I just thought you'd enjoy a romantic candlelit dinner for two. Oh, good. Who's coming? Where, where, are, you, where are you going, then? Uh, John, it's for us. You and me, the two of us. It's our 25th. Ah, no wonder I'm exhausted. <laughs> oh, John. You will have your little joke. But then so does half London, but I... I, I understand you with your little peccadillos. Ah, oh, how, I, how I love their little snouts and scaly backs. <laughs> Those are armadillos. Well, of course they're armadillos. We bred them, remember? Yes, John. That was the most... Painful thing you ever asked me to do. Still, we... We, <laughs> we laughed, didn't we? We laughed. Gosh, how we laughed when I plunged them into the boiling fat. <laughs> John! Yes? Why do you have to be so cruel? Oh, I don't have to be. I just enjoy it. It's, it's purely voluntary. Let's not quarrel tonight of all nights. Let's bury the hatchet. Good idea. Well, where is your mother? <laughs> Once there was something... Big and strong between us. Something <laughs> firm and comforting. Something a woman could grab hold of to turn to at night. Something that belonged only to you. What did happen to my teddy? Please has agreed to take part in the programme. We only need to sign up Tim Brooke Taylor. Who's he? Oh, come on. You must remember Timbo. Yes, 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 yes. Of course I do. Just my little joke. That's him. <laughs> but Graham, 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 I thought Tim had completely given up comedy. Oh, that's right, yes. You remember we did the goodies together for over ten years. That's right. You gave it up just before that. Yeah. <laughs> and now... Now he's retired to the anonymous little new town of Milton Sitcom. That's a funny name, isn't it? Mm, Milton let's hope Sitcom. So. In fact, <laughs> in fact, there's his house right now. I say, let's go inside and surprise him. Right. <laughs> Yes, well, I thought we'd get out the car first. No, 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 never mind. I can see him coming up the path right now. <laughs> Hello, darling, I'm home. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Hello. Darling. God, darling, what a day I've had at the office in the product testing department of the old rubber company. Yes, I thought you'd lost your bounce. <laughs> I say, darling, that's stretching a point. <laughs> God, I'm looking forward to a quiet evening at home, unless you've accidentally invited the boss and his wife together with the ghastly family we went well on holiday. <laughs> well, yes, darling, I have. Oh, no! What'll I give them to eat? I haven't a thing in the house. You've got this car. Funny I never noticed the car before. 
Hello, Tim. Oh, my God, it's the vicar. I mean, oh, my vicar, it's gone. No, 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 it's us. It's us, Tim. You remember. Look, look, it's us. You remember us, Graham Garden and me, Mr. Oddy. <laughs> oh, look, Tim, we have come to offer you a job. Let me tell you all about it. This is wonderful news about Tim. Oh, I'm so happy. That's a dream come true. Uh, no, 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 no. Tim said he would do it. Oh. <laughs> Oh, well, you, you can't win them all. Oh, but here comes Bill with the recycled script. Ah, oh, ah, oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's right, great, great. Right, put your clothes on, Bill, and let's have a look at this script. <laughs> OK, here it is. And now... Prune Playhouse proudly presents a documentary reconstruction of the dreadful series of crimes which terrorised the inhabitants of Victorian London and left them stunned. Oh, I am stunned. Our story begins in London, 1888. Queen Victoria was still on the throne. Oh, hurry up! <laughs> it is the night of November the 13th and the city is in the grip of a thick fog. Gotcha! <laughs> oh, oh, my pineal gland aches. In the dismal area of Whitechapel, the first of a series of victims makes her way homeward. It is Nellie Button, a lady of ill repute. Oh, I'm ever so poorly in my repute voice. <laughs> in the sinister alleyway is Nellie Button, her clothes ragged and filthy, her hair unkempt, her face rattled and grimy, plies her trade. Want an horrible time, dearie? <laughs> But little did she know what fate had in store for behind her in the gloom a menacing figure slipped out of the shadows. Then, as Nellie stooped to adjust her shoelace, hands reached out through the mist behind her, the hands of... <coughs> Jack the Ripper! Get it right. Sorry already. <laughs> Better. Just. Yes. The fiend had ripped the very bloomers from Nelly Button and dashed off into the night. Dash, 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 dash. And that night, Jack the Ripper struck again. Ooh. And again. Oh! And again. What's your game? <laughs> Next morning, the news broke. <laughs> On the street corners, news vendors shouted the headline. The headline! In Parliament. <laughs> Questions were asked. Now, Mr. Disraeli, I want you to think very, very carefully about this one. Who is Jack the Ripper? And whilst you're at it, who the hell am I? <laughs> Queen Victoria was not amused. We are not amused. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> The news reached Scotland Yard and sent the police reeling. Uh, a police superintendent was informed by his faithful sergeant. It's Jack the Ripper again, sir. That's the fifth pair of bloomers he's got away with. This lad's a bit of a tearaway. Don't bother me now, sergeant. I have more important business. After all, this afternoon it's the Royal Garden Party. You've been invited, sir? No, but my garden hurts. <laughs> We've got to stop him, sir. The people are losing patience and the knickers. It's up to us, Superintendent. Oh, I suppose so, Sergeant. We must go to Whitechapel this very night. He's bound to strike. Look at that fog. It's a real 
A real... Pea super? Just had one, Sergeant. No. <laughs> Come on. Into that cab. That cab, sir? No, 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 this cab. What, what's wrong with this cab, sir? Oh, well, it's all right. Now, to Whitechapel. Aren't you going to come with me? Oh, no, sir. Oh, the teeming nightlife of London's East End. The flower sellers, the urchins begging. What, what's that fellow over there? An organ grinder, sir. Better steer clear of him then, Sergeant. <laughs> Their search took the gallant policemen through Whitechapel and into Limehouse, London's notorious Chinatown. Sergeant. <laughs> Suddenly, a scream rang out. Hello? <laughs> Thank you. The river had struck in nearby Limehouse, London's notorious Chinatown. There's only one thing for it. We must seek help. I must go to number 221B, Acre Street. <laughs> his Baker Street rooms, they found Sherlock Holmes sitting on the fireplace. Ha-ha! The great detective! Bring... Oh! Bring me tea, bring crumpets, bring... bring... You rang, sir? This is my faithful companion, Dr Watson, MD, MRCS and Webb's Wonder. <laughs> Webb's Wonder? Oh, yes. I've got lettuce after me name. Everyone a Maserati. However, Watson had brought them all cups of tea. He crossed to a table and put the china down. No! no. <laughs> Holmes, Holmes bowed low. Jack the Ripper, he has strung again. No, he has struck again. That's much better. He has struck again. Is the might of London's police force powerless in the face of this dastardly scoundrel? Is there no end to this impudence, caramba? <laughs> Congratulations, that display of absolutely appalling acting wins tonight's Robert Hardy Award. The superintendent returned to the yard where he was found by his secretary, Norma. You'll find the Ripper soon. Incidentally, why are you sitting there pinching Oscar Wilde's bottom? <laughs> I'm at my wit's end. mind, sir. I can help you look. So saying, she leant across his desk. No, don't move. Stay. Stay just as you are. For the first time, I'm seeing you as a... as a woman. Before, I'd always seen you as two little bald men peeping out of a sack. <laughs> and hold me. Mm. Here, watch it, mate. Here, watch it, mate. What, uh, who are you? We're two little bald-headed men. Little bald-headed men. Ah. Oh, oh, oh. 
And I was right. And what are you two men doing in this good lady's brazier? We're up for the cock. Up for the cock. Get it. Oh, get it. Get it. Norma, Norma, this can never be. Until I've caught Jack the Ripper, I shall have no peace. Not even me? No, not even you, my little Norma with the laughing dentures. Which is why... Which is why I've called in another investigator, the brilliant French or Belgian detective, Hercule Parrot. Hello, hello, who's a pretty boy? Aha, Hercule X Parrot. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Whitechapel, in the private bar of the old Goat and Terrapin, a meeting of London's underworld was in session. Right then, I call upon the General Secretary to call the roll of all members present with unusual and amusing names. <laughs> I, uh, I use amusing in the broadest possible sense. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Nee, and their Swedish son, Larsny. <laughs> and his sister, Betty Larsny. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Sitting for Immoral Purposes, and their son, Solly sitting for immoral purposes. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Attention. And their daughter, Karen, who has turned down my offer and left home, so I shall be driving without you, Karen. Attention. The boss addressed the assembly in Cockney rhyming slang. <coughs> 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 There's a bloke of great renown terrorising London Tower. They say that he's a gentleman on top. Man on top. For this crafty gentleman river is a nifty little stripper if you're wearing them and surely have them off. Take them off! Certainly. That's totally irrelevant. Meanwhile, back at Scotland Yard. Superintendent, I've got a hunch. Oh, no, it's only us. Only us having a look round the back. Round the back. We're having a look round the back. No, no, no. No, we must trap the Ripper by setting up an irresistible challenge. You're right, but who or what could I use to bait my trap? Something monstrously tempting. Yes, yes, something so hideously voluptuous, so gigantically perverse, so monumentally, insatiably pink and wobbly, a steaming great jumbo-sized juggernaut of volcanic eroticism. You called, sir? Who are you? I am grimbling, but don't worry, I'll clear it up later. <laughs> I am the butler, sir. I believe you're looking for a steaming great jumbo-sized juggernaut of volcanic eroticism. Aren't you a little past it, old man? No, no, I'm a little dirty old man. Anyway, <laughs> I do know the very person you're looking for. You know this you? grotesque, elephantine, quivering lust pot that I seek? I do indeed, sir. Then who is it, Grimbling? Who is it? I ask you, who?
Oh, Jelly, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> lady, Lady Constance, how... <laughs> Carry on, young, with the snapper. Nice to see you again. How, how long is it now? Let me see. <laughs> thank you. Now... <laughs> Why did you send for me, Shorty? You have no doubt heard all about Jack the Ripper. No, I wasn't listening. Ah, a woman of taste. Yes, a raspberry ripple, as a matter of fact. Lady Constance, Lady Constance, please sit down. Where? Oh, anywhere, or in your case, everywhere. And so I shall. And then in the ensuing chaos it happened. Lady Constance became the Ripper's latest victim. I see it all. Oh. <laughs> Nobody move. Nobody has. The, the door is locked. Oh. That means one of us in this room is the Ripper. <gasps> Superintendent, what is your full name? I am Superintendent Jack D. Ripper of Scotland. No! <laughs> and so time went by. Bye. Every moment of BBC Radio was carefully recycled, and for months, nobody noticed. But eventually... And now, listeners' letters. Dear Mandy, I sometimes get the impression that everything I hear on the wireless these days is a repeat. Am I right? No, you're not right. And now, listeners' letters. Dear Mandy, I sometimes get the impression that everything I hear on the wireless these days is a repeat. Am I right? No, you're not right. And now, listeners' letters. Dear Mandy, sometimes yes, I get the impression... Right, that all right, all right, all right. Obviously, I had to call a meeting. One by one, the cast of I'm Sorry I Read That Again filed into my office. Right, that's me in. Oh, and me, and me, and me. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh. Don't you lot ever get tired of old jokes? No, no, no. Well, obviously, you're all pretty pleased with yourselves. Oh, oh, yes, very well, but we've got a problem. We've recycled every bit of clapped-out old material that we've got. Not quite, sir. So what am I going to do? I can bring back Derek Jameson, thus putting an end to civilization as we know it. Sir. Or I can close down BBC Radio. Sir. So that's the choice, the sir. end of BBC Radio or the end of the world. Now, sir. obviously, as managing director, I can only make one decision. So it's goodbye, world. What? But, but sir... Sir. Who would have thought it could end like this, eh? I, I thought it might be Ronald Reagan who fell asleep with his finger on the button, but no. Civilization has survived Hitler. It survived Genghis Khan. It's even survived the Emma Thompson show. Hello? But it won't survive Over me. Here. Hatch. Hatch, the bringer Sir. of doom. Hatch, the all-powerful one. Behold, the end is nigh. Your the Highness. Holocaust, the apocalypse, Armageddon. You're a loony. Doomed. <laughs> doomed. The world is doomed. Sir, so, so I haven't done my silly walk. Well, that's one thing to be grateful for. Or, or the ferret's on. Oh, oh, two, two things. things. Yes. David, you promise. Look, I am the Prince of Darkness. My promises mean nothing. <laughs> Besides, John, the silly walk is rotten radio. <laughs> he said it was rotten radio. <laughs> well, 
Well, John, let's face it, there is just a teeny-weeny possibility that it might not be quite so utterly, side-splittingly, rib-ticklingly hilarious in sound only. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm sure we can all imagine what it looks like. After all, we've seen it often enough. <laughs> You're being horrid to me. No, 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 we're not, we're not. It's only a joke, only a joke. Don't take on so. Now, look, look, John, if you really want to do the city walk, do it. Do you, do you really want to see it? Oh, oh yes, yes, can't yes. wait. Yes. 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 I'm you really weeing myself with anticipation. <laughs> no, you, you're just saying that. No. Uh, no, 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 it really is true, really. All right, is. all right, all right. Um, I don't suppose there's any chance of an announcement, is mm. there? Yes. Tim? Ladies and gentlemen, for the first and last time on radio, pray silence, please, for Mr. John Cleese's world-famous silly walk. Thank you. Hey, <laughs> hey. Was that it? Well, I, I think so. I haven't done it for a long time. Oh, brilliant. Oh, marvellous. Great. Oh, really worth waiting for. The no, no, no. Wait trip. a minute. Wait a minute. I left a bit out. What, the funny bit? <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. I get it. You're laughing at me, aren't you? Why, why are you being so horrid to me? We're, we all used to be such chums. When? <laughs> you used to encourage my feeble attempts to be funny. Remember, it was you lot who first introduced me to ferrets. I've still got the tooth marks. So are the ferrets. Nothing's changed. We're, we're all the same fun-loving, zanny pranksters trying to brighten people's lives with a smile and a merry quip. It's just that I'm paid 20 million times as much as you. It's, it's not my fault. It's just, just because I'm 20 million times more talented. But that's, that's no reason to be beastly to me. Heavens, just, just because I'm mega rich and an international sex symbol doesn't mean I'm not human. If you touch me, do I not squeak? If you... If you prick me, do I not poke your eyes out? Don't, don't despise me, please. Don't disown me, please. And please, stop playing that bloody trombone when you... Very well. I shall go back to my money. The only friend I've got. Push your shot. And you're rocking on. Has he gone? Good. Right. Now I can get on with destroying the world. Right, the first thing to do is fire you lot. Uh, not so fast, Hatch. I have just been perusing the government's plans for broadcasting in the 90s. All their knowledge and expertise is summed up in this white paper. But there's nothing on it. Exactly, that's why it's called a white paper. <laughs> Mind you, I can certainly think of a use for it. On the other hand... <laughs> but looked at differently... <laughs> It sums up perfectly the future of BBC Radio. It's going to be sold off to the highest bidder. <gasps> oh, if only we knew an eccentric old multi-millionaire with more money than sense. John! 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 But it 
was too late. Even now, the pathetic old recluse was climbing back into his space shuttle, Ferret One, and opened the airlock and slipped through. <laughs> Robin welcomed him back and helped him into his latex rubber suit. Indeed. <laughs> not at all, sir. Now shall I help you into your rubber suit? No, no, not, not now, Robin. Now, you see, if, if I'm to be denied the artistic satisfaction of doing the ferret song, I have no alternative but to become the richest man in the world. Quick, Robin, let's do another business trading film. You be the customer and I'll be the shop assistant. I shall call it How to Sell Things by John Cleese. Right. Uh, first, the wrong way. Uh, good morning. Please, may I buy something? No, push off, you boring little git. Now! <laughs> the right way. Good morning. Please, may I buy something? Yes! <laughs> Is that it? Yes, brilliant. That'll be a half a million pounds, please. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Earth, in the showrooms of auctioneers Krusty's... The next lot is BBC Radio. Included in this lot is the managing director, and I believe we're also throwing in the board of governors. What's going on? Apparently we've been sold. Oh, we've been sold. Radios 1 and 2 sold to Mr Rupert Murdoch. What? Murdoch? Oh, brilliant! Remember him? No. Yes, you do. Rupert Murdoch and Kenneth Horn. Uh, hey! Oh, oh good, good old stinker. What was, it, what was his catchphrase, was it? Good eye, coppers. Yes! Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, give me the old sink tune. Come on, stinker. Give it a... Uh, much binding in the mash. Pom, pom, pom. Don't talk to me about poms. My goodness, his voice has changed a bit. Still, we'll be all right now. Fancy being bought by good old stinker Murdoch, eh? And radios three and four sold to Mr Robert Mac. Maxwell. Who? Maxwell. What? Maxwell? No, oh, fantastic! No. My favourite first good old Stinker Murdoch, now Maxwell! No, he you could do it, honey, Oh, he's doing it! Look at that! Marvellous! Oh, Brilliant! Yeah, better than that loony Basil Towers. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Funny walk, bad Australian accents... Please. Yes, what do you want? Oh, what a giveaway. <laughs> You've bought BBC Radio. Well, you gave me no alternative. The BBC will become Broadcasting by Cleas. One station playing 24 hours of high brown music, namely the Ferret Song. Hold it. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can let go now. Now, John, <laughs> you can't just launch into the... What was it? The Ferret Song. Wake up the audience. You're trying to stop me again. No, 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 but John, something as lovely as the um, 
Sorry. The ferret song. The ferret song. <laughs> the ferret, that's it. The ferret song needs a proper setting. Oh, that's it, yes. It should be the grand climax of a, of a musical. The hit song. You sing it. And we hit you. Oh, I see what you mean. Something like Ferret at the Opera. No. Seven brides for seven ferrets? No. no. Aspects of ferrets? No. Okay, Oakler ferret? No. no. Brigger ferret? No. no. And a bottle? No, all right. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee, that's it. Ferret Dunkleys? No. 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 Well, you, you could do lots of Australian jokes. Oh, oh yes. Yes, late arrivals at the barbecue. Right, you're on. You're on. You're on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, please. And please feel free to join in at the end. Mr. and Mrs. Bong and their son, Bill Bong. Mr. and Mrs. Zing Matilda and their cousin, Walt Zing Matilda. Mr. and Mrs. Jing Pong and their granny, Winging Pong. You're catching on, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. and Mrs. Abara and their cook, Abara. Quicker, please, we haven't got all yet. Mr. and Mrs. The Platypus and their duck, Bill Platypus. So that's better, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. and Mrs. Reef and their terrific brother, Great Barry Reef. Mr. and Mrs. Rise Up in the Morning and their son. And not forgetting Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo Downspot and their cousin, Jaime Kangaroo Downspot. Enough of that. At last, the oh cultural experience of the hour. Nay, the week, nay, the century, nay, the very pinnacle of the entire history of the universe. The Finnit Now, John, song. John, John, John. What? John. Dear old thing, <laughs> just before you do anything embarrassing, <coughs> are you absolutely certain about this ferret business? Certain. I mean, you are a sex symbol to millions of American women. True. And, I mean, call me old-fashioned if you like, but I don't think going eek is terribly erotic. Well, I do. Yes, but you're weird. I mean, <laughs> put it this way, it's not plausible. I mean, do you, do you really think Jamie Lee Curtis would have been so turned on by your squeaking? I mean, you try the Russian, nothing. The Italian, nothing. Sniff the armpits, nothing. Underpants on the head, nothing. But you go, eek! And it's take me, big boy. I mean... <laughs> we shall see. I've got a ferret sticking up my nose. for a while although it's apps 
absolutely vile It's not as bad as last week When I had a crocodile too much for the band as we end this special 25th anniversary edition of I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again. The voices you heard were Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall and Bilotti. The script was by Graham Garden Bilotti with Joe Kendall and Lizzie Lord. The music was played by Dave Lee and the Boys and the songs were by Bilotti and John Cleese and the producer was Richard Wilcox. Why not join us again in 25 years time? <laughs> when, when John Otto Cleese promises not to say I'm sorry I'll read that again. <laughs> That was the 25th anniversary edition of I'm Sorry I Read That Again, and it was first broadcast, get this, on the 25th of December, 1989. 25th of December. Ah, oh, what a way to spend Christmas. Anyway, did you notice how we were so ahead of our time? Because we predicted recycling, yeah? All that stuff about recycling programmes. And here we are now on Radio 4 Extra. Spooky, eh? Being recycled. Oh, by the way, that was the very last ever. I'm sorry, I'll read that again. But, of course, the title almost lives on in another show. I'm sorry, I haven't uh, some clue. That's right. A show that, if anything, so people tell me, is more successful than I'm sorry, I'll read that again. And funnier. What do they know? I was actually involved in the uh, first two series of Clue, as apparently they're calling it now. And I can honestly say it was um, intensely unenjoyable. And uh, I used to be sick a lot. And uh, I used to meet John Cleese occasionally in the loo because he felt the same way. <laughs> Only because we were both really bad at it. Anyway, Graham, Graham, explain the whole thing, please. I'd sort of devised the programme because we'd been asked to um, write another series of I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, and Bill and I were busy writing 
for television at that point, Doctor in the House. And we didn't have the time, and television was paying much better and was no more difficult to write than radio. In fact, arguably, television is easier to write than radio. So I said, why don't we try to do... I'm sorry, I'll read that again without a script. In other words, turn it into the same cast in a sort of bizarre panel game setup. But none of us had, had quite uh, tried to ad-lib a whole a whole program in front of an audience. We got the audience from, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, who were like a football crowd. So it was mad atmosphere was going on. We all went to the pub afterwards and solemnly swore to each other, never again. And were amazed when the BBC picked it up and said, we'd like to do a series. Well, we're coming to the end of, uh, though I say it myself, somewhat magical and certainly nostalgic, well, for me, 180 minutes. It felt more like three hours. You've been listening to, I'm sorry, I read that again, again, and so have I. And a question that seems almost inevitable when you've been involved in a, a TV show, a long-running show, radio, anything like that, is what... Did it influence? Were there other shows, you know, that came out of that? What was the legacy, as it were, of... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Is there one? Well, the ace legacy spotter is, of course, the original producer, Humphrey Barclay. I think it's without question that I'm sorry I read that again was seminal, if that's not too arrogant a term, because it sowed the seeds for some great shows. I think if you think briefly about Python and about the goodies, to name two only, the kind of confidence in the writing and performing that those shows exhibit simply wouldn't have happened without the experience of the anarchic freedom that I'm sorry I read that again had I think without question I'm sorry I read that again (laughs) though it wouldn't like to think of it as being so mature became the parent of shows of different character Uh, and it's all one family really to me I think both the goodies and Python in different ways. Goodies was entirely visual, if you think about it. Python's was very sort of clever, almost literary. Um, but both of them were a reaction against... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. I think we'd done that, really. It was a heck of a long time. It was time to, uh, as they say, move on. I must move on. This has been, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again, with Bill Oddie. It was produced by Nick St. George, and we must also thank Keith Wickham for providing us with some new copies of old, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. So, I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed this wallow in the warm suds of nostalgia, and just like Angus Boone himself, you've sat in your bath and had a good laugh. Bye. That lets me out. I only do showers. Mm-hmm.